treated from the Black Mass. What do you want with this? Oh, just a quiet bit of mind-blowing. Jessica, this is not a subject to mess around with. These are scientific works. You can buy that sort of stuff in almost any shady bookshop in Soho. I think it's all kinky. What's that? Weird, man, way out. I mean, spooks, hobgoblins, black magic, all that. It shit. seems to me that you delight in deriding anything that is not on your particular wavelength. Junk Food Dinner 669. Welcome to our Halloween episode. Or maybe it isn't. There's some debate on the issue. First, Christopher Lee awakens in modern-day London in Dracula AD 1972. Next, monsters are found underground in Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Finally, Sean Penn rises up in the ranks in Juvenile Hall in Bad Boys. Welcome to Junk Food Dinner, episode 669. This is the podcast where each month we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-hosts, Parker Bowman in the 559, and Sean Byron in L.A. This month, we shake off the Halloween hangover and slide into November with three very different films, although the first two, kind of the same. Uh, just replace Draculas and Monsters, but we got a swing in setting. We got Dracula AD 1972 from, coincidentally, 1972, Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds from 1977, and Bad Boys from 1983. But first, gentlemen, how are you doing? How was your Halloween? We are recording this directly after Halloween, first day of November. It's always a sad time. I, I don't know about you yeah. guys, but I, I, I definitely got the Halloween hangover today. For sure. I I went hard in the paint for Halloween this year. I tried to do everything. Tried to squeeze it all in. Parties, movie marathons, eating all the candy, all the themed Halloween food. And uh, now it's all over. Now now we're into November. And it's, it's bittersweet because on one hand, it was a great Halloween season. I think I had a lot of fun, squeezed a lot in. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad it's over. Because, you know, after a while, you're like, okay, I've gone too far. Now I'm I'm willing to uh, to just settle into the nothingness of November because November really is a nothing burger of a month. It's you know mm-hmm. there's there's Thanksgiving which I love uh, because you know I because you're again, so thankful. I'm so thankful. Mm-hmm. I love to eat. I mean, and I know people you know mock the traditional American. Uh, Thanksgiving dinner, you know, with the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes as being some, you know, basic bitch white people food. And it is, but I love it. And, you know, I don't really eat like turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing on a regular basis. So I'll take it. Well, it's really like the only. Oh, go ahead. uh, I was just going to say, it's really like the only time you can get those foods. So even though it's basic, it's like, yeah, when else are you going to get cranberry sauce? Like there's no other time. I mean, you can have pumpkin all, pie, really. Well, no, that's not true. All those things are available in your grocery store year-round, I assure you. Uh, but you're not going to go out of your way to get them. You, yeah, are you telling me that just in on some lazy day in March, you're going to cook a whole-ass turkey for yourself? 
No, that's what I'm saying. But you can get turkey. It's yeah, there. I mean, no one's getting it, though. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, yeah sure, I'm all that stuff's sure. there. You buy a turkey in May, that's a leftover turkey from last November. You might want to be careful. Yeah. Not only that, but all the teenagers are going to make fun of you. You know? <laughs> this, guy's, <laughs> this guy's buying turkey in June? What a fucking buffoon. Yeah. It's, it's like wearing white shoes after Labor Day. Or what, you never go to a renaissance fair in the summer and eat a giant turkey leg? I'm pretty sure those are made out of 100% ostrich, Kevin Moss. Mm-hmm. I hope so. But also, no, I mean, no, those are only once food, a year, though. too. So, Oh, well, yeah, that's fair. Sure. But what I'm saying is, my point is that <laughs> October is a party month. You go hard. And then November is there for one reason and one reason only, and that's to chill or be chilled. I usually spend most of my November... You know, the weather in Ohio, at least, gets shitty in November. It starts to get cold. You don't want to go outside. You don't want to do anything. You huddle up. You, uh, you know, get yourself some, uh, I don't know, whatever your comfort food of choice is. You hunker down and, you know, you just chill. And I'm, I'm into that. I'm ready for chill time. Well, I hear you, Kevin Moss, but I've got what I guess is bad news for you. I thought this would be Great, you know, wonderful news for you. But the news being, the Halloween groundhog saw his shadow this morning and declared, we've got a few more days of Halloween. Uh, I I, I can't take anymore. I got to call it quits. I can't have another fun-sized Snickers. I just can't. This is what happens when Halloween falls on a Tuesday night and people like me Mm -hmm. don't have a chance to properly feel like they've been Halloweened. They no. get a do-over. They get to no, no, extend no. it through this weekend. It's just I'm through so- this weekend, Kevin Moss, through Sunday. No. no, I'm sorry. Once you're put right in that 11 on all your checks that you're writing, you know how you write checks all the time? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, once Multiple. you start writing a 11 in the month on those checks, then you're done. You got to wipe the grease paint off your face. Wow. You got to throw your Frankenstein action figure in the garbage and, you know, just move on. <laughs> Well, joke's on you because I'm putting out a cancel order on all of the checks that I've sent out so far on this <laughs> first day of the month. Because um, I'm pretty sure, I think maybe there's still Halloween stuff going on. I haven't looked into it, but I I would think maybe like Halloween Horror Nights might still go on for the rest of this week. Wouldn't they? Shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. If Halloween's on a Tuesday, you got to give yeah. me a few more days, right? No, Absolutely. I'm, I'm sick and of this. No, there's precedent for this as well, because if you remember when we were youngsters, um, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror would oftentimes get preempted by the yeah. World Series. So it would often yeah. air like the first or second week of November. So that's when Halloween ends. Whenever Treehouse of Horror comes on, that's the end of Halloween. So Actually, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. I don't think Halloween begins until the World Series is over. All right. Because I'm <laughs> fucking distracted by baseball. So it's a, a good point. Until the commissioner, you know, wises up and moves the World Series to like the first week of October where it should be, then I'm celebrating Halloween in early November. First of all, no, you can't just make up your own rules. That's not how it works. You have to abide by the calendar. Calendars matter, goddammit. In fact, this is the time of year when you start looking for what the calendar you're going to get next year. I don't know about you. I still buy physical printed paper calendars, multiple, and hang them on my wall. Uh, and, and I live by it. Those things are the Bible to me. And if it says it's November on my Elvira calendar hanging in my office, 
then by God, it is fucking November and Halloween season's over. Despite the fact I'm looking at the Mistress of the Dark. Uh, <laughs> now you're you're telling me I can't find like a 13 month calendar out there where there's like an extra month after October that's called like October two, no, or something. This is not how our Greek forefathers set up the calendar. Um, well, so yeah, maybe, maybe you got to get explains why they're not around anymore. Well, mm-hmm. Let me ask you guys: When was the last time you purchased a physical calendar? I've got one on my fridge. I, I always have one on my fridge. Uh, this year's edition is a funny hedgehog photo calendar. These little hedgehog guys dressed up in cute little costumes. Very nice. Yeah. That's fun. Um, I always buy a planner that has calendars in it. But as far as like a, a real calendar, it's been a while. Although I did receive one um, at work. Some Some people who read my newspaper sent me a Steve Perry from Journey calendar last year. Wow. That, Very nice. It, it had a lot of trivia about Steve Perry, the front man of Journey. <laughs> I love a I trivia calendar. Now, yeah. w- was this because they knew that you were such a fan of Journey to the center of the earth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably true. They knew that I'll never stop believing that it will one day come to an end, all this Journey <laughs> to the center of the earth chat. Um, but no, it's, it's because Steve Perry is from the town that I I write, that I work at. So I'm always running stories about him. Like Steve Perry popped into town and bought ice cream, you know, cause he's like the only famous person from our town pretty much. So, so Steve Perry, super fans from all across the world constantly talk to me and tell me about how much they love Steve Perry. Interesting. Is it like a, like a point of pilgrimage for journey fans? Do they journey all the way up to the, the five, five, nine? They do. They come all from all across America. They come like every spring. His, one of his fan, one of his biggest fan groups, and then another one comes like every couple of years. And that one's like international. So yeah, it's. I think actually you're thinking of locusts. Also that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. It's easy it's to confuse wild. with Journey fans for sure. Yeah. But um, but the treehouse of horror this year is coming on this Sunday. So we still have a full weekend to go, baby. It's still Halloween. Kevin. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Until so I let me, see let me, funny- let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Last month you were talking about how garbage the Simpsons is now and how it's fucking <laughs> culturally irrelevant. Now all of a sudden you're setting your goddamn calendar to it. Kevin, Musk, which one you know, is it? Come on. You know as well as we do that it's not Halloween until you've seen those funny opening credits from Matt Groening and the boys. You mm-hmm. know, this is grandfathered in from when The Simpsons was good. This is not something that started in year twenty-seven. This this is grandfathered in. It's been this way for decades. And I'm willing to bet that the Treehouse episodes are still half watchable. Uh, yeah. You might be surprised. <laughs> it's been a while. Well, I'll be watching this Sunday because I'm going to be up all night eating candy and celebrating Halloween the night that it's on. Oh, that's fine if you want to do things after they've happened. I mean, that's like, you know, if you want to <laughs> celebrate New Year's Eve on January 15th, go for it. But Man. no one's going to be kissing you under the uh, whatever, the ball, whatever, dropping ball in Times Square. Look at Kevin Moss here. Mm. Just cannot adjust to our modern time-shifted culture. This guy's listening no. to terrestrial radio. He's watching <laughs> broadcast television. <laughs> yeah. He's 
talking yeah. to people face to face. I'm buying He's fucking like, calendars and magazines over here. Listen, <laughs> <So now> I. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a pilgrim over here, celebrating uh, Halloween the way his grandfather did. Yeah, and I guess that is the true spirit of Halloween. It really is. Can't change some of us. Some of us are living in the future, and we're celebrating Halloween until next weekend. This weekend, I guess. All right. Well, I look forward to the podcast next month. I'll just show up on whatever day I feel like it. We'll see if you guys (laughs) pick the same day as me. But you know, since time is an illusion. Thanks for screwing up our Halloween dumb shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, I'm on on the Simpsons calendar. Simpsons calendar is where it's at. Oh, boy. All right. Well, how was your (laughs) Halloween? Past tense, since it already happened. Did you do anything? Yeah, I I did something very Halloween-y last night. I was up all night watching a prison drama. Yeah. Well, on Halloween night. Well, you know, you, you know why? Because this is our fucking November episode, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Feels danger close to October to me, but well, you know, that's why we have you know specific time frames because you know close doesn't mean anything. We're in November. <laughs> sure, we're done with Halloween, <laughs> and we're in the prison drama season. I don't know what to tell you. Kevin Moss is ready to move on. He's he's tearing up those paper bats that he's got hung up on his walls, dumping yeah. out all the buckets of candy down the toilet. Absolutely. You know, I'm the same way. You take the Christmas tree down the goddamn day after Christmas. You don't leave that shit up all year, for fuck's sake. Come on. I thought that Kevin liked Halloween and, and universal monsters and ghosts and ghouls, but it turns out he hates this stuff. I couldn't. I can't believe what I'm hearing here tonight. Listen, that's a way of life, man. That's, that's not relegated to some holiday. <laughs> that's part of my DNA. That just doesn't change with the seasons. But this holidays, they have a finite goddamn time frame. Time marches on. <laughs> well, I think that's what Sean is saying, is that yesterday was Halloween, and yet he had to watch a, a prison drama because you didn't look at your calendar to realize that we would be watching yeah. these movies on Halloween. And I feel like I'm no. entitled to a do-over based mostly on that. I also, yeah. well, first of all, you guys are the ones that schedule this shit. So, <laughs> I mean, we this is my, up there. Hey, but this, I, this, I is, mean, I, this is my November appearance on Junk sure. for Dinner. I'm not treating it like <laughs> Halloween because, again, as we have established, you know, months have meanings. Uh, so, <laughs> sure. I mean, I'll, this I'll is let, November after all. Absolutely. I, I think mean, we should do another Schlocktober episode next month to make up for this this <laughs> error in judgment. Well, I, I I would be on board with that, except there's a very important Siskel and Ebert holiday special <laughs> that we just got to watch. Now, let's watch that in March since months mean nothing. <laughs> you know what? If it would help us get through all of them quicker, I'm on board. Well, I'm not down I'll, for that. I'll, I'll pick them every month. <laughs> One a year is fine by me. That's that's going to be my contribution to this show. On one end, it's journeys to the center of the earth. On the other end, it's all holiday gift guides. Oh, no. I don't like this. Well, speaking of watching things that are not Halloween related, I did just want to reveal that I finally did it. I've, I've finally accomplished a life goal. You know, I've been watching the show Cheers with my wife probably for like what feels like 15 years because we just kind of watch it real slowly, maybe like 
once a week or maybe even less than that, but we love watching it. You know, it's, it's a nice kind of relaxing show. And you might think that I'm gearing up to say that I finished Cheers. No, I'm still in like season five or something. But the good news is that I got to the point where they spun off the Tortellis, which is, you know, Dan Hedaya's character, the uh, ex-husband of Carla, into its own show that lasted just a few episodes, I think. And so I was able to look up on YouTube the Tortellis season one, episode one, it was on there. And so after watching the episode of Cheers where they kind of set up that show, went over and watched the first episode of the Tortellis. And I'm here to tell you guys, it stinks. I, I get what, you know, I know why they canceled it. It's not very good. Well, there you have it, Mr. Timely Sean, again, giving us the review <laughs> of the 40 year old TV show. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, I've actually never seen the Tortellis. I, I've always heard of, it was always kind of like a, uh, like a punchline as you know like a infamous flop of a spinoff but uh but yeah never actually saw it and i mean you know, i love is, is Rhea perlman in the mix she's in the first episode in like a dream sequence or something and i think that's maybe her only appearance basically like in the first episode dan hedaya moves to las vegas and then he ends up moving in with like some stepsister or something like, I don't know, like some like distant family and hijinks ensue. It was not very good. Yeah. Well, speaking of cheers spinoffs, did, did you catch any of the new Frasier episodes that premiered earlier this month? I keep catching commercials for it every time that I stream cheers, but I, I didn't bite the bullet. I, it looks bad. I've heard that it's bad. I, Kelsey Grammer is a bad man. So, you know, I'm not, you know, chopping yeah. at the bit or whatever. No, I'm not interested. Yeah, I like Cheers. I never, never dug the Frasier. I mean, I would watch it because it was like, you know, back in the day, it was part of must see TV or whatever, and you would just kind of, you know, be forced to watch it with your parents, you know, every yeah. once in a while. But yeah, never enthusiastic about that show. Although I know people that like it that have some nostalgia for it. But I feel like the dad character on that show was funny. But for the most part, it just made me feel like I was hanging out with, like, old people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never got into Cheers or Frasier because they felt like, like, even if I was, like, an adult, you know? Like, I would still feel like, oh, man, like, this is for older people than me. I can't watch this. Yeah. Much less when I was, like, eight and it was actually on. Cheers Although I do fun. remember, yeah, I do remember uh, Frasier's son went goth for a few episodes, much like the young boy on Home Improvement. So, you got that grunt? Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a second. <laughs> but yeah, I like uh, when any any <clears throat> kid character on a sitcom in the 90s went goth for a couple episodes. That's, that's always fun. Yeah. I think that happened on Roseanne, too. I'm uh, currently rewatching Roseanne. I'm in the middle of season one. Um, I think DJ goes goth at some point. Sure. It was bound to happen. Yeah. It happened to the best of us in the nineties. I mean, once Marilyn Manson came out, I mean, yeah, everybody just had to become goth. It's true. At least until November 1st. And then it was completely over. You burned all your Manson t-shirts. You put away all your spooky things. Well, some of the spooky children believe that uh, the first weekend of November is really when being a Manson fan comes to a close. Now, if you want to celebrate Day of the Dead, then you're allowed, but 
traditional American Halloween. We're done with it. I do want to celebrate Day of the Dead. Yeah. All right, let's do that. Yeah. I'll just call it that. And nobody will judge me. (laughs) But yeah, um, since last time we talked, watched some good stuff um, that want to talk about real quick. Like I said, went to a couple um, Halloween screenings during the month of November or the month of October. So you got me all mixed up here. Uh, (laughs) During October, I I went to Horrorama, Dayton, Parker. I know we can commiserate about that. It was at the old Inglewood Mm -hmm. Cinema. Inglewood Cinema, by the way, exactly the same. Hasn't changed. Squeaky ass, uncomfortable seats. Uh, Terrible popcorn, but I loved every minute of it. Um, Got to see the faculty. Their theme this year was uh, school horror movies. So they had two high school horrors and two college horrors. The two high school horrors were The Faculty and Prom Night, the original Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis. Both of those were pretty fun. Um, And then, but the real excitement was the last two movies where they played night of the creeps which was awesome to see on the big screen and uh and uh ghoulies three ghoulies go to college so that was a good time and they played you know as they do trailers and music videos in between the movies all with the uh the spooky school theme like they played that be cruel to your school video with uh you know twisted sister with alice cooper with all the zombie effects by um tom savini that's a great video so mm-hmm. stuff like that. And speaking of Alice Cooper, I got to see Alice Cooper live um, up in Troy, Ohio in October. That's a fun, spooky season concert to see. That 75-year-old man still puts on a good show, still does the guillotine routine and all that fun stuff. And uh, that was cool. Oh, you took your girl to a scary concert? <laughs> I, t- I t- took myself to a scary concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's even more frightening if you went solo. <laughs> yeah, I did mm-hmm. go. I mean, I went with, uh, I met up with some friends up there, but I did yeah. go solo for the most part. Um, but yeah, it was a funny crowd too, because as you can imagine, it was mostly older folks, you know, being that Alice Cooper is 75 years old. Uh, but there were uh, a lot of like, it was like a lot of older people. And then like with their like grandkids, you know, like, oh, I got to take my grandson to see Alice Cooper. This is going to be awesome. But uh, on the way out, I did hear like a 13-year-old kid on his cell phone going, dude, I just saw this dude, Alan Cooper. Fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, pick up any uh, merch? No. Fucking, I mean, as you would expect, the merchandise was a little overpriced. Like fi- They wanted 50 bucks for a t-shirt and stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm not paying 50 bucks for an Alice Cooper t-shirt in 2023. But they did have some cool looking shirts. Um, I will say, you know, kudos to his graphic design department. Just not fifty dollars cool. So what's what's the nice price for a, a tour shirt? Is it thirty? Would you? I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, maybe? unfortunately, that's the reality now. Is I mean, yeah, you're not probably not going to get it. I mean, especially from a larger band. I mean, if you go to you know some cool indie bands and stuff, you you might be able to get away with a twenty dollar tee. But yeah, I think if you're going to see a show in like a stadium, yeah, you'll be lucky to pay thirty, thirty-five bucks for a t-shirt. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just keep going to uh, you know small venues and seeing independent bands instead. Yeah, or you can just buy one of the, the bootleg shirts from the guys in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, know, the really too. shitty silkscreen ones that say Alan Cooper on them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then. Speaking of Tom Atkins, I saw um, 
Creep Show on the big screen. That was fun. Nice. They played that. Um, friend of the show, Justin, did his October uh, screening. He did Messiah of Evil, which is a movie that I know we weren't too high on when we did it back on the back in the day on JFD. The good news is it has been restored, so it looks a million times better than when we did it on Junk Food Dinner. Uh, and it, so it's very beautiful to look at. It's like a very well shot movie, and there's a lot of cool uh, scenery and stuff in there. Uh, the bad news is the movie's still boring, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's some cool stuff in it, but it, it it moves at a pretty slow pace. Um, but it is very nice to look at now that it's been restored. So if you get a chance to see the restored version, uh, check it out for the atmosphere and the visuals. But uh, the excitement has not been restored unfortunately <laughs> um but yeah and then watched a couple um fun halloween movies that i had not watched before uh again friend of the show justin did a, a twitch stream where he played some halloween movies uh one of them being scary movie from 1991 have you guys seen this not the wayans brothers uh parody film but uh the uh, you know, Austin, Texas based John Hawks starring movie. Have you, I think Agfa put it out on Blu-ray not too long ago. Are you guys familiar no. with this one at all? No. It's pretty great. It takes place on Halloween and at a, uh, haunted attraction. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, it's got John Hawks in it. It's got, it like takes place in Austin, Texas. It's got Rocky Erickson and butthole surface on the soundtrack. It's a, it's a good time. Um, Definitely check that out. Um, uh, another one is Primal Rage, uh, which is a outbreak infection zombie type movie, I think from like 1987, 88. Again, Vinegar Syndrome put this out recently. Also takes place on Halloween. There's some really great Halloween party scenes in this one. Highly recommend it if you uh, haven't seen it. And this oh. is not the Sega Genesis game that you're talking about. I wish. I mean, if we had farting, you know, apes and tyrannosaurus rex then maybe Uh, but we'll get to that later when we talk about uh the legend of dinosaurs and bird monsters absolutely um so that was cool and then the other one i want to recommend is the ghost of drag strip hollow uh, which is a 1959 black and white movie again takes place on halloween some really great 50s halloween party scenes some great late 50s hot rods um, and they reuse the creature suit from the 1956 movie, the she creature. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. If you like teens partying in the fifties with their hot rods and their skeleton costumes, check out the ghost of drag strip hollow. I think that's on Amazon prime streaming for free, but again, Halloween's over. So don't watch any of these movies. That's in the past. You got to wait 365 days <laughs> before you can view any of these. Or, you know, just, just live your life. Treat yourself. Every day can be Halloween. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to see this Ghost of Drag Strip Hollow, though. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's got a cool poster. You know how I like a cool poster. Who wouldn't? But yeah, you guys do anything fun since the last time I talked to you? or More fun than watching the Tortellis? Well, I mean... <laughs> no, I haven't really gotten to do anything. I'm still... still... I'm like 95% recovered from COVID, so I've just been hanging Holy around. shit. Is that yeah. what they call the long COVID? Uh, no, I think the long COVID lasts like months and years. Um, I mean, like I'm mostly better. I just like am a little like 
congested still. Like, so it's not like the biggest deal, I guess. But I haven't really felt like doing anything because of it. And also, I get like a little tired, you know, early in the day because of the stupid <laughs> virus. Yeah. And just in general, because I'm an old man. I was going to say, it sounds like you're blaming the virus for a lot. You're putting a lot of <laughs> a lot of weight on this virus. It's like, ever since I got this COVID, all I want to do is sit around and play video games all day. It's goddamn virus. I can't shake it. <laughs> goddamn well, COVID is, is preventing me from performing in bed. My marital duties. <laughs> <laughs> goddamn COVID. It's ruining everything. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't really do anything. Not that there's, like, anything to do up here in the world like where I live at anyway. Um, so I, I've been playing a lot of spooky video games. Normally I don't play spooky video games cause they scare me too bad, but I've been playing some, uh, what, what are we fun. talking about? The monster party, ghosts and goblins. What, yeah. what do you got? Kid Icarus. Splatterhouse. Um, none of those. I've been playing some more newfangled ones. I played this one called September 7th, which is, um, it's like a walking simulator as the kids say. So you just walk around and like scary things happen. Like ghosts jump out at you and like a scary elf, like laughs at you and stuff like this. Now um, September, that's too early for scary things. I think we can all agree on that. No, I think September 1st is the prime time. Um, but it's actually, the title is a, a misdirection because you're haunted by like a scary Christmas elf. So it's like Christmas themed. The um, What? Yeah, well, it's like it's a whole thing. The, the, the haunt you get the the haunted elf. He comes to your house on September seventh, but he he makes Christmas happen—a scary Christmas happen. I don't know, it's very spooky. Please believe. Like any, doesn't sound like any walking simulator that I know. <laughs> it sounds it sounds <laughs> terrible, Parker. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. The way you've described well, it, it sounds awful. <laughs> once you're in there, it's scary. Listen, the story is irrelevant. This fucking elf. He's laughing at you. He's spitting blood. He's scary as hell. He's doing all kinds of things in your house. He's threatening you. It's a very scary situation. I love that we're at the point, you know, we had the Sims or whatever, you know, we were simulating regular life. We've really gotten to the point of simulating walking. Is that what the kids are into? That's what they're into. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, I've never I've avoided the genre because it sounds weird. But uh, sometimes like some of them are just like you walking around like a park and it's like very peaceful. And that sounds really stupid. But if you're getting chased by a, a bloodthirsty elf, then it's pretty cool, in my opinion. I mean, it's not just like Quake or Doom or whatever at that point. Um, No, because like you can't fight back or anything like that. Well, let it's, like, me very fight cinematic. back. I, I want to fight fuck? back. Give me at least a you, knife or something. Are you collecting right? coins or anything? No, you're just like running from this elf and trying to get him out of your house. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's very scary. I mean, if if this elf was in my house, I wouldn't fight back either. I would just run. I mean, what can you do against him? He's too strong. You know? I think you made a grave fight. mistake getting into video games. Well, yeah. Next time somebody makes fun of me for my Luddite ways of calendars and magazines and uh, old-timey records, I'm going to be like, you know what my alternative is? Some game where an elf chased you. <laughs> That's what the kids are into. And don't even get me started on Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, when I see you guys, I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to open up my laptop. I'm going to make you play this game, and it's going to scare the pants off of you. I promise you, it's yeah. scary. Let's just hope that I don't simulate my own walk away from your computer. 
buying both of you this game. Scary. He's an elf. Sounds all terrifying. Right. <laughs> That's really all I've been doing. I watched a bunch of the Jason movies, you know, as is tradition. But Oh, yeah, Jason Bourne. Yeah, I love those spy movies around Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You catch uh, the Argonauts? I did that one, too. Yeah. Well, you want to see what scary elf video games the people out there in Junk Food Dinnerland have been playing this month on this week's segment of Junk Mail? Absolutely. All right. Well, fire up that old uh, voicemail machine and hit me with uh, hit me with those uh, beautiful dulcet tones. Okay. Uh, I believe this one is from Eddie, if I'm not mistaken. Eddie. Hey, Junk Food Supper. This is Eddie calling from New York uh, about a past. Uh, pretty embarrassing Halloween costume story. Uh, I was 12 years old, and I wanted to be Vulgar the Clown from Brian Johnson's movie Vulgar. And uh, so I had my mom do the makeup with a bald cap and the clown makeup and the nose and everything. And it came out fantastic. Like, she really did a great job. Uh, too good of a job, one would say, because uh, I basically transformed from a pudgy 12-year-old to, like, a short middle-aged bald pervert in a trench coat uh i didn't uh i didn't go all out with the you know the guard the garter belt and all that stuff i just wore sweatpants and a sweater underneath the trench coat but still the effect was there uh which i wanted i was like yeah i'm gonna really you know no one's gonna recognize me i was all stoked it's gonna be a super weird costume or freak everybody out and make them all you know alienated and weird and i did i uh i went to a local parade that we were having where all the kids from school went to and I would, you know, I was all excited, and I would see them walking in the street, and I would see their face, and they would look up, all smiles, you know, because they're having a good time at the parade. And then their eyes would, like, widen with fear, and then quickly avert, and, like, they would just make a beeline and go right away from me. And this happened a few times to the point where it uh, it completely shattered my confidence and destroyed my plan, which worked too well. And I couldn't take it off because it was this elaborate clown makeup and stuff. So I couldn't just like rub my, you know, rub it off my face right then and there on the street. So I begged my mom to uh, take me home and the night was a complete failure. She even ragged on me in the car. She's like, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. And uh, I guess I'm just calling to say, you know, uh, don't make the rookie mistake of committing to a costume that you can't easily take off because uh, it could backfire or maybe exa- do exactly what you want. And that's not what you wanted. So, uh yeah, just a, a, a warning to the wise out there. But, uh, yeah, I hope you guys had a great Halloween, and uh, take care. Oh, thank you, Eddie, for calling in. Thank you for sharing your Halloween trauma. Yeah, you guys remember Vulgar, that movie with all the clerks dudes in it? Yeah. 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 And I'm, that was I'm a good in, movie, if I remember. I'm impressed that Eddie was, you know, into it enough at age 12 to, you know, dress up as Vulgar. I mean, that's a pretty cool 12-year-old, if you ask me. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I can see how that would uh, be off-putting to children. You know, <laughs> yeah. a creepy, perverted clown. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you guys take note of how the caller recognized that it was still Halloween season based on the uh, contents of his call? When did this call mm-hmm. come in, Parker? What's the date on this phone call? I just came in five minutes ago. Bullshit! I'm no, not going to no. <laughs> November first. No, it did not. Well, you'll <laughs> never know. Bowman holds the keys to the voicemail machine. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, speaking of voicemails, though, here comes another Halloween themed voicemail that we just got seven minutes ago. No, uh, this <laughs> this one's from our old buddy. I got your old buddy Kyle from Kentucky. I was just calling in to see what was going on. I hadn't heard, you know, uh, I'd like to be involved in junk food summer sometime. Like, I'd like to be on the show. I think some of the people would probably like me on there, but uh, life's real hard, man. Uh. All right. And that's, a, that's a Halloween-themed voicemail, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. I agree life is real hard, and I agree I'd like to hear you on Junk Food Supper. Oh, Boys, what are you said, doing? I thought he said laughs real hard, like he can't stop laughing at our hilarious podcast and... How great it is. <laughs> no, could be both. He's laughing hard at the podcast because life is hard. Well, we see you, Kyle. Hopefully life's not too hard. And Kevin's right. We fucked up in a big way, and, and you should come on the show sometime. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get Kyle on there. We've been talking about it. Me and Kyle have been talking. Uh, I've been ignoring my work during the day and talking to Kyle on Facebook. And we're figuring out a movie. We're, we're trying to those, find a movie. Those Kevin Tenney movies. Yeah. Witchboard. Yeah, we could do Witchboard. He he's thrown out a couple movies, but I think they're all movies we've done before. So we'll we'll figure it out. We'll get him on there. Well, Junk Food Supper hasn't done them. Well, that's a good point. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, we got another voicemail here. We can find out um, if life's hard for this person and if they're going to be murdered quietly uh, at the end of it. Happy Halloween from uh, mm-hmm. the. Um, thriving metropolis of Richmond, Virginia. Hope you guys, you boys had a wonderful Halloween. Um, how was your Halloween? Mine was okay. My son just doesn't care about it anymore. And like, I don't know, giving Halloween candy to kids is fine and stuff, but kind of a bummer this year. So anyway, what I was thinking is you guys could help me out by doing, um, the farts giving one more time. That was a great, that was a total success. That would really bring my spirits up. I think you guys enjoyed it thoroughly as well. So how about how about you do that for me? Uh, just a little favor. I'm good for it. Anyway, I uh, hope you all had a wonderful Halloween and um, are doing well. Love the show. Um, happy Halloween to all of my other friends out there. Uh, Memphis Maniac, Mia, um, uh, Kyle from Kentucky, uh, Peter from Pittsburgh, uh, Portland, Portland, Peter, happy Halloween. Damn, really no love for Mia Sweetman? Hey, you know, when you're on the spot, you don't remember everybody. But yes, happy Halloween. Yeah. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for asking how our Halloween was. And uh, <laughs> I think I heard the word is in there once or twice, maybe by accident. <laughs> but uh, yeah, our Halloween was good. I'm sorry yours was kind of a bummer. I mean, Halloween's what you make of it. Like we were saying, you can do whatever you want. And, you know, if, if the kid's not into it anymore, 
if uh, you know they're not playing any cool Halloween movies in your town, if there's doesn't seem like there's anything really going on, you know, you make your own Halloween. You uh, you know get a couple of Blu-rays, get a pumpkin, get some Coors Light, the Silver Bullet, the official beer of Halloween and werewolves and Elvira, and uh, you get nuts. Yeah, or or just pick up a new twelve-year-old who might be into dressing up as vulgar clown. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. they're out there. You can find one. Um, but yeah, Fartsgiving. I I I think we've all loved Fartsgiving, of course. But uh, I, you know, the pool of fart-themed movies is very shallow. I mean, there's not. <laughs> sadly. sadly, there's not a ton. We did American <laughs> Flatulators. We did Fart the Movie, and we did that weird uh, Australian one. With zero farts. With like one fart in it. Mm-hmm. We all but remember I, the fart that shook the world in Les Patterson Saves the World. There were yeah, but, global political implications to this fart. But yeah, if you guys got suggestions <laughs> for a farts giving, you know, we might, you know, maybe Junk Food Supper can do something for you. I don't know. We'll see. But give us some ideas. We need fart movie ideas, because I think we've done all the classics of fart cinema. But if there's more out there, yeah. and don't yeah. make it some nonsense like some YouTuber made or something. I'm talking about a legitimate <laughs> film like Fart the Movie. <laughs> yeah. Or American Flatulators. Yeah. <laughs> something that had a fucking VHS box art, for God's sake. Yeah. We don't want no homemade <laughs> farts and crafts video that you can no. your buddies. Did Mr. Methane from the Howard Stern show ever make a movie? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if Howard Stern had made that Fartman movie, then we would have something really yeah, special to work with. Yeah. We'd be in business with a huge blockbuster. Seven <laughs> sequels, no doubt. I feel like it's not too late for a <laughs> Fartman movie. I think that would actually probably make as much money now as it ever would have. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe maybe they'll do it animated or something. Yeah, they should just yeah. cast like Chris Evans or somebody. Like it's like you know, yeah, make like, it like real serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The gritty, dark fart man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fart man begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've got one final voicemail. I'm not sure who it's from, but here it is. Hello, it's me, Mario. What's going on? Junk food dinner. Ha 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 ha. Thank you, Sean Byron. Appreciate you liking my game, huh? Ah, Paisan, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping into the, on the toad, and my girlfriend is, uh, this is Tony, you know, she's a little rough around the edges, man. You know what I'm saying? Hi, guys. Hey, man. <laughs> you... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Super Mario, for calling in. Yeah. Sean, you've been playing that Super Mario Wonder? I have. I mean, partially because, as we all know, as, especially as Parker knows, that Mario is one of the most popular Halloween costumes this year. And so, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just want to throw that out so that I can make the claim that the call was Halloween related. But, yeah, I'm playing that new Wonder. It's pretty good. Um, I'm in, like, World 2 right now. I'm I'm trying to slow roll it because it seems like there's not a ton of game 
like the levels are really short. I'm moving through it pretty quickly. So I'm kind of like taking my time with it because I, I don't want it to be over. But, you know, what game there is has been fun. Nice. Yeah, I'm always excited at the, uh, you know, the prospect of a new side-scrolling Mario game. That That is my sweet spot. I love an old-school side-scrolling Mario game. I mean, I know it's not as exciting as getting chased by a fucking elf, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, true. it's, it's no time tested. Simulator. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed, man, with like the level of quality control that that company Nintendo has been able to maintain over their games now for like our entire lifetimes. Like, that's it's pretty impressive. Like, there's no movie studio that like only puts out good movies, but. By and large, like the games that Nintendo themselves makes, they're almost always like pretty good. Yeah, they got a good team. Yeah, and uh, that one dude, the guy that uh, I mean, I think they run a pretty tight ship. If it's any indication, didn't that one guy that uh, created the Virtual Boy commit suicide? He was so ashamed of his failure. Yeah, well, I mean, that's we're talking about the Japanese, and it's, yeah. it doesn't take much to get these guys to jump in front of a train. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, he also invented the Game Boy, I think. So it's like he had a real high and then a real low. That's true. But yeah, but yeah, Nintendo, always the seal of quality, I feel like, um, for the most part. I mean, there's some stinky Nintendo games, but they do a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if you'd like to call, tell us what walking simulators you've been playing or what kind (laughs) of... uh, Don't call about Halloween. It's over with. It's done for. Please, for the love of God, have some self-respect and some common decency. Well, unless you do it in the next few weeks, because Kevin won't be around to hear it. So just don't call about Halloween a full month from now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll be living in the present. Yeah. That phone call should be exclusively about Siskel and Ebert. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But give us a call on the Junk Food Inner Voicemail line at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. We love hearing from you, regardless of the topic. Uh, but that being said, let's get into some nerd news. From the global resources of Junk Food Dinner Worldwide, it's time for Nerd News. Uh, the first piece of nerd news that I have is that a new study confirms what we, I think, have all known for a while, and that is that Gen Z um, is not in to sex on screen. And I think we've talked about this before, and I think this has been, this, you know, this isn't groundbreaking research, this, but this is a new study that's come out uh, from the UCLA Teens and Screen Study, conducted by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, whatever the hell is that is. They uh, surveyed... 1,500 members of Gen Z, ages 10 to 24, uh, young people, that, that they say only want to see platonic relationships on screen between characters and felt that sex wasn't necessary for story or plot. Um, most of them said that they would like to see less sex in TV and movies and certainly no nudity, uh, which is kind of wild to me. Um, it, it does seem that Gen Z is a little bit... Uh, kind of prudish when it comes to sex. I've heard a lot of stories of, uh, and, and research that suggest uh, millennials and Gen Z are having less sex than previous generations. They're not into, which seems wild. I, I mean, because when I look at fucking, you know, Instagram and shit, it's all 
it seems like Gen Z, you know, shaking their asses all over the place. You'd think yeah. these kids are or horned like up. Euphoria and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know. But I guess maybe they're just uh, jerking off and stuff. But maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe they have a, like, maybe, I don't know, has porn ruined it for them? Maybe, like, porn has made it so mainstream that they're like, you know, sex and nudity is for pornography. Everything mm-hmm. else I want to see uh, just two gender neutral people talking and, you know, playing walking simulators. Who the hell knows? These kids are weird. <laughs> I, uh, I do think that that's part of it. I think that because like the younger generations look at porn like there's like studies and stuff like more than older generations. And part of that's probably just because they're hormonal and everything. But like, yeah, if like they're watching porn all day, every day on a little device in their pocket that they have like which you know when we were young would have like blown our entire minds that you could just have a phone that you could look at porn like 24 hours a day like so yeah so i think that they're like if they're watching a movie and they're supposed to be like a titillating sex scene they're just like well if i wanted this i could just watch three dicks go into an anus right this minute (laughs) i don't need this yeah dude especially like when like for our generation the equivalent to that, like having the phone with magical porn on it that you could just whip out and look at whenever we had calculators that you could spell boobs on. And that was titillating. <laughs> oh yeah. That made me horny. That made me so horny looking at the word boobs. Yeah. That's, that's all that we had. Yeah. But at the same time, I would say, I, I, I do think there should, you know, you should be able to compartmentalize the difference between nudity or, you know, the, depiction of sex on film from pornography i mean a lot of times it sure it may be meant to titillate or you know arouse in some way but it's not you know i think nudity can serve lots of different purposes in a movie it can you know and 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 sometimes it's just you know nice to look at it's like oh you know it's a it's an artistic touch that you can put on different scenes too yeah it's just a visual enhancement I don't know. I I don't think you need mm-hmm. to necessarily group all sexual stuff into one category. Like it's all meant to be jerked off to. I mean, it's you know, I'm not going into the art museum and jerking off all over the fucking you know Rembrandts <laughs> or whatever that have titties on them. Well, well, I guess I I agree. I these young kids they don't their their brains have been ruined by TikTok. You know, like they don't understand yeah. that there's a difference. I guess, I mean, to play devil's advocate a little bit, like, we do live on a very overcrowded planet. And so if it takes, like, an asexual generation of youths in order for me to have fewer cars on the freeway for my own gas-guzzling commute, maybe, you know, that's worth it, you know? Oh, no, listen, I'm all (laughs) for it. Like, yeah. The, the less of these dumb fucks that are reproducing, the better. <laughs> and I'm one of them. I'm, I'm a childless, you know, you know, 40-year-old. I guess I'm a millennial, 41-year-old. Um, so I get it. I mean, but it's like, you know, don't get so uptight if you see, you know, a couple titties or a pair of nuts on TV. <laughs> Kevin Moss, I think you're quiet now. Yeah, you're you're quiet. Well, I just get a little bashful when talking about these pornographies. <laughs> it seems like maybe you, you bumped a knob. Did you bump a knob? I bumped you nothing. I bumped nothing, but I'll turn it up. Okay. How's turn this? Is that better? It's better. Perfect. Yeah. 
Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it seems silly to me. I, I like to have movies that contain sexuality, of course. The only part of this that kind of bothers me is like, I feel like all of the reporting kind of frames it in a way where it's like, they're trying to tell me that this generation is like so judgmental about this stuff that they don't want it in media period versus, you know, having the opinion of like, well, I just kind of tend not to like this stuff. It's not the kind of stuff that I gravitate towards, you know, which would be fine. But uh, yeah, I don't like hearing this reporting over and over that it's like, you know, look out, there's going to be no sex in movies ever again because this generation demands it. Yeah. As as a person who's on Twitter, that's definitely the stance I see more often than not is that sex in movies is distasteful and should be eradicated. Because I feel like in our lifetime, we've seen, you know, social changes to like how films are produced and, you know, like how screenplays are written and, you know, things like the Bechdel test or whatever that help to create an environment where films are less heteronormative or less, you know, male dominated. I think that's a good thing. And if, you know, oh yeah, kind of reaction creates an environment where it's like, you can have more kinds of movies made, some of which are completely asexual. Great. That's awesome. Let's get every kind of movie made. But I, yeah, I just don't like it when they're like, this should not exist. It, one of the things that they also said was that, you know, they felt like romance was overused in movies and tv and i think that's true i mean obviously we grew up in a time when like every stupid snl comedy had to shoehorn in a love story to make it feel like a real movie so it's like i I can kind of agree with that like you don't have to fucking have a romantic subplot in every fucking movie like there are movies that can exist that don't have to have you know some love interest in it with the main character for no reason so that i agree with yeah 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 i feel like that was, you know, one of the main sticking points with a lot of action movies growing up. You know, it'd be like, why is there a dumb love story wedged in when I just want to see cars crashing into walls and stuff? Yeah. But I also do find it ironic. Again, maybe it's just they're getting oversaturated with sex in other places. But again, like this is the generation that gave us, you know, like Megan the Stallion and Cardi B like singing about their, you know, pussies and stuff, but they can't handle a couple nips on screen. Come on, kids. <laughs> It's like these kids never even seen vulgar. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of vulgar, I got some news. Uh, the Salem's Lot remake is probably not going to be coming to theaters. It's probably going to be going straight to HBO Max. Um, this is a movie that it seems like they've been working on for many, many years. Gary Doberman is directing it. I don't even know who that guy is, uh, but it stars William Sadler. The, uh, or co-stars him, I guess. It's probably selling it a little too hard to say it stars him. He's like ninth build. But uh, this movie was, I think, supposed to already be out and has been like pushed back and stuff like that. Um, I was a little vaguely interested in it just because I like vampires. But it seems like if they're just going to dump it on HBO, it probably sucks, I would imagine. So I don't know. Do you guys like any of these Salem lots? Are you, were you excited for this one? What do you think about all this? Yeah, I I saw that first, you know, original Toby Hooper Salem slot when I was like a teenager, but it's been that long since I went back to it. So I don't have much of an opinion on it, but I don't know if this looked good, I'd be open to it. I like vampires. Yeah. I've actually never seen 
any iteration of Salem's Lot, nor read the book. Um, so that's definitely a blind spot for me. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just I feel like studios are screwing themselves with this dumping movies direct streaming. I mean, like I get it. Thank you for saving me, you know, fifteen bucks to have to pay to watch this garbage. That's probably sucks anyway. But the fact that they're putting stuff out on streaming, like usually like the day after it fucking leaves the theater or just not even putting in the theater and putting on streaming like, and then they wonder why the fucking theaters are failing. I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I agree. That new exorcist, uh, is like on streaming now and it's been out for two weeks and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the movie probably sucks. Everybody says it sucks, so that's probably also why it's bombing. But it's like, yeah, when you tell people, hey, this movie's going to come out on VOD in two weeks, don't bother seeing it in theaters, then, yeah, you can't be surprised when they don't go to theaters to see the fucking movie. It's pretty, seems pretty, pretty easy math. Yeah. Well, I got some nerd news about something that is also not going to be in movie theaters, although it was never really intended to be. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about this new Monarch show, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. This is a Godzilla universe show that's going to be on Apple TV. Uh, the plot description says that it's set in both the 1950s, which would place it close to the events of Skull Island, and also in the much more recent past, uh, a year after Gareth Edwards' 2014 Godzilla reboot, uh, it will tell the story of how the uh, Monarch organization came to be. And I guess it centers around a few researchers, uh, including a dude named Bill Randa, played by both Anders Holm and John Goodman, uh, a Dr. Keiko Mora, played by Mary Yamato, Army Lieutenant Lee Shaw, played by Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, who I'm guessing is his son. Um, these oh, yeah, are- you know it's his son. He's the the hippie guy from Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater movie that is oh, definitely about yeah. baseball. You remember okay. that guy. Oh, yeah. He was the only character that I liked in that movie, actually. So <laughs> uh, I guess I'm excited to see him getting more work. Um, yeah, it's, so like I said, it, it takes place in two different time periods, kind of explores this shadowy government organization. And it seems like critics are loving it, which is something that I don't think I've seen any kind of reaction like this for any of those, you know, newer Godzilla movies. Um, I actually didn't even know that they, that they were making this until there was already a trailer that was online and I thought it looked kind of good. So it uh, looks like it's going to be 10 episodes. I'm guessing they're hour-long episodes. The first two will drop on November 17th, and then after that it's weekly through January 12th. Um, Kevin Moss, will you get an Apple TV account for this? And uh, if so, will you also watch Severance? Well, yeah, that's the rub. I mean, first of all, yeah, I don't love these legacy Godzilla, this whole franchise. I mean, I've seen all of them. When they've come out in theaters, I, you know, and I saw Skull Island and I saw all these legacy Americanized uh, Godzilla and Kong features. And they're just they're fine. They're fine popcorn movies to see in the theater, but there's no rewatchability. So like you, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations about this, but I agree. The trailer looks intriguing. Uh, 
and I want to give it the benefit of the doubt, but yeah, that Apple TV, that's that's a sticking point for me. I, I mean, might as well be on fucking Disney Plus. I'm not going to do business with any of these monsters. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless I can illegally download it, I, I probably will not be watching it. Yeah, Apple TV really is like the nadir of stream, like paid streaming services, where it's like, if you do choose to sign up for this, like, I hope that you actually do watch Severance because there's absolutely nothing else on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. Anything with Kurt Russell, I'm in for. Um, and I like that this is like Godzilla Winter that we're heading into now because the new Japanese movie is being released here in America, like December 1st or something like that. So yeah, one day only, yeah. which kind of stinks, but oh, that's a bummer. I, I will be there December 1st to see it in theaters. Cause yeah, I, mean, I am excited about that. Godzilla minus one looks cool. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's also a Gamera cartoon that Netflix put out within the past few months or something. Yeah. Cool looking kaiju stuff. Did you see that at, at all? Kevin? No, but I, I I don't I didn't love the Godzilla anime that Netflix did, so I'm not I don't mean I, it's probably not from the same people or anything, but in the same ballpark, so probably not going to watch that either. Yeah. What about the new Justice League versus King Kong and Godzilla comic that is coming out soon or might be out now? You hear about this? Uh, yeah, comic that could be fun. Uh, versus the Justice League. Yeah. Seems like a weird crossover. Yeah. Comics, I mean, that's the name of the game when it comes to licensed properties and comic books right now. It seems like it's like, what's the weirdest fucking crossover we can think of? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It'll be like <laughs> Ash versus the Evil Dead versus Mad Balls limited run. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is this? Mr. Yeah. Peanut fights the Little Caesars mascot. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly but yeah I, like i've seriously seen like planet of the apes versus power rangers i'm like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> yeah well maybe you'll see this uh this monarch show perhaps uh although one final piece of nerd news i want to talk about is a, a blu-ray coming out that i will definitely be watching and that is on november 7th the uh, shout factory will be putting out surviving the game at long last on blu-ray this movie has been relegated to shitty dvds for the longest time uh this is the 1994 movie starring rucker hauer ice t charles dutton gary Busey, f murray abraham you know the the whole crew they're the hair man hunts man ice t homeless dude getting hunted in the woods we did it on the show i loved it it was one of the first rated r movies i saw in the movie theater so it has nostalgia for me uh, but I am excited that this is finally getting a nice cleaned up Blu-ray, although it is a little dubious that the Blu-ray comes out in uh, six days and on the Shout Factory website it says extras in progress and will be announced at a later date. Getting a little late there, guys. Better, better finalize those extras. So hopefully there's something good on here other than just a nice cleaned up restoration of the film. But uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys like surviving the game enough to add it to your collection? Yeah, Hell I, yes, I do. I remember liking this movie, of course. Yeah, I grew up watching this. This was on all the time, and I watched it all the time. I, I love it. I think it's a great movie. Very nice. 
All right. Well, I think on that note, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our first film of the evening, and that is Dracula AD 1972. So stick around. Dracula, can't you see that you've been drinking blood too long? Plasmatic Come to me, come 
nightmare's over. Welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The first movie tonight on this Halloween theme show is Dracula AD 1972, a movie from 1972. This is directed by Alan Gibson, who uh, did a few of these Hammer Horror Draculas, at least one other one. Um, I think it's Alan Cooper. <laughs> that's the guy. And Alan, um, Alan Gibson, not a Brit, but a Canadian. Huh. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's... Close. Kind of the same, kind of the same yeah. thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think this is like the sixth or seventh Dracula movie, something like that. I've only seen a few of them. But um, when I was going through my my exploration of these movies initially a few years ago, uh, I watched this one because it seemed to have like a wacky premise. So I skipped ahead. I saw like the first two Draculas and then I skipped ahead to this one. Um, and... And I, I I was looking around on the internet. I didn't look too hard, but this may be the first instance of Dracula hanging out in like modern day. Um, but I'm not totally sure, but I I think it might be. A um, real vampire in Brooklyn scenario. Yeah, exactly. Um so yeah, so so in this movie, we've got all the familiar uh fellows. Christopher Lee is Dracula, Peter Cushing is Van Helsing again. Um and it opens. We've got this cold open with them fighting on a carriage, uh, battling it out. Um, and it ends with the, the carriage, uh, like it crashes into a tree. Uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, like collects himself. He's, you know, looking to get back in the fight. And, uh, wouldn't you know it? Dr- Dracula has been impaled by one of the wheels of the carriage and he is dispatched, uh, and killed, Forever. Uh, however, forever only lasts until the 70s. He's dead for about 100 years or something like that. Uh, when he is, well, we're dropped into the swinging early 70s of uh, London. And uh, there's a wild party going on and there's all these like crazy uh, uh, shenanigans going on. It's very, uh, what's the name yep. of that movie that Roger Ebert wrote? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, it's got those sorts of vibes. The band um, describe the vibes as swinging. Yeah, I would say it's a swinging vibe. We get a live performance by American band Stone Ground. Oh yeah, Stone Ground. We all know oh, yeah. Stone Ground very well. Everybody. <laughs> Apparently, it was originally supposed to be the Faces. Uh, oh, that would have been the, cool. The British rock band, but yeah, I guess Rod they, Stewart. They had better things to do. And uh, and they get, ended up getting Stone Ground instead, who play their hit song Alligator Man. We all remember that, right? Of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, I like the Rocky Erickson version. It's a cold night for Alligator Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alligator Man actually did have kind of a Velvet Underground vibe to it. So I mean, it, it wasn't half bad. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So like, this crazy party going on. We get uh, introduced to a bunch of like. Crazy teens. Uh, one of them is Caroline Monroe, um, who we all remember from what's that crazy movie that we did on Junk Food Dinner a Million? Star Crash. Yeah. Uh, we know her from uh, Star Crash. She's and also in Maniac. Maniac, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me, lots of stuff. Slaughter High. Yeah. 
She's actually in a movie that we'll be doing in one month from now on our not farts giving theme show because she's in Don't Open Till Christmas. Oh uh, yeah, she's a real uh, a real British stunner. Yeah. yeah, she's also in At the Earth's Core, so we'll be talking about her when we do that. I guess I assume. Yeah, she plays the the victim in this. Right in this Dracula movie. Yeah, she's she's yeah. the one. Yeah. With the titties. <laughs> well, one well, of the ones with the titties. Well, yeah, there's two, yeah, really. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, this movie is firmly, like, we we did uh, Frankenstein last time, which is one of the first, or the first kind of Hammer horror movie. And this is much later when Hammer has become what people kind of remember it for, which is the the neon blood and the titties. So we've we've jumped from... But don't worry, Gen Z, no uh, actual mm-hmm. naked titties. <laughs> no. But I will say that one girl that's not Carolyn Monroe, just about everybody in this movie gets real handsy with that woman's bosoms. Yeah, 100%. That's um, Stephanie Beecham, who plays, yeah. uh, what's her name in this? Jessica Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah. anytime she's Peter the, Cushing. She's Peter Cushing's daughter. Yeah, she's yeah. Peter Cushing's daughter, but anytime he's near her, like interacts with her physically, he just grabs her tits. Like, yeah, <laughs> it is wild. In the middle of the scene, he'll be like, "Let me put a necklace on you for no reason." Ah, oh, while I'm here, I might as well just rub my hands all over your nipples. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene at the end where, like, she's like recuperating because Dracula has done some Dracula stuff to her, and he's like embracing her, and he's like, "Oh, I thought you were dead," and he's just grabbing her tits. Like, just 100%. Like, he is a pervy old man taking liberties. I mean, when the, you know, the villain of the piece does it, this Johnny Alucard, I'm like, all right, I guess this Mm -hmm. is within character. But old man Cushing playing the father of this girl or grandfather. Grandfather, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. fucking weird. Yeah, it's it's a little wild. Um, Yeah, so she's, those two are part of this crew, Johnny Alucard. Uh, he's also part of this crew. He's like a swinging rock and roll guy. He looks um, now. Just, yeah. Peter Cushing is a descendant of Van Helsing. I'll give you one guess who Johnny Alucard's a descendant of. <laughs> well, Johnny Appleseed, clearly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love, and this this has been you know kind of a trope in movies where Peter Cushing is figuring out that yeah. Alucard is <laughs> Dracula backwards, and he's got like this little like chart that he's made and it's like Mm -hmm. it's just backwards dude like and then he's like really shy like oh my god and like that happens (laughs) in like monster squad and i I know there's multiple movies where al yukard is used and then it's someone's like really has to break out the pen and paper to figure that out yeah he he devises like an entire chart to figure it out it's it is really (laughs) funny yeah, yeah, it's yeah, he yeah, he's like got all these like it looks like um like the conspiracy board that Charlie and It's Always Sunny has in that one <laughs> conspiracy episode. Um yeah, so Johnny Alucard, as you might imagine, is related to Dracula. Um and his grand plan is to do some satanic occult stuff. He invites everybody to come over to his house, come over to a cemetery and do some occult stuff. Um at which point he resurrects Dracula. By sacrificing Caroline Monroe. Spoiler alert. Um, and then from that point on, uh, Dracula, he wants to suck the blood of uh, Stephanie Beecham. He wants to suck a lot of blood 
uh, with Johnny Alucard. They're getting together. They're doing crazy stuff, sucking a lot of blood. Uh, Peter Cushing gets wind of this. He's not necessarily a vampire hunter, but it runs in his family. So he kind of takes up the mantle, teams up with the cops. Um, but yeah, he's studied vampires his whole life. He's got a killer <laughs> collection of books on them. Yeah. He's got, he's got a good library in the house. Um, but don't take one of the books off the shelves or he'll grab you by the titties. <laughs> he absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy touched my breast is what <laughs> Stephanie Beecham says in response. Um, and then, yeah, so, so in the middle we get kind of some, like you guys said, like some figuring out what is, is this guy, Dracula, who is this guy kind of stuff. And then there's a big showdown that I think is very fun. Um, when I first saw this movie, this wasn't my favorite of the horror hammer horror movies that I saw, but I think that the beginning and the end are so fun that it kind of makes the boring middle part palatable. And one thing I did think when I was watching this the first time and this time, I said, this is a Kevin movie. This, um, I was glad when you liked Frankenstein last week, cause that gave me an excuse to show you this. Cause I, I thought that with all the, the rock and roll at the beginning and all, all the Dracula Enos and all the titties, I thought that this would definitely appeal to your sensibilities. Um, and at the very least it appeals to mine. Like I said, this isn't my favorite hammer horror, but I think this is really fun. It's like, Seeing Dracula in this present day is like super fun. Um, and, and yeah, it has all that hammer horror stuff you love. It's the big neon blood, the big boobies, uh, Christopher Lee hamming it up, Peter Cushing being a boring old, uh, an old man, <laughs> uh, all that stuff. And like all the cool effects, like anytime Dracula gets murdered, uh, there's like cool melty effects and it's just fun. It's just a fun movie. What do you guys think about Dracula AD? 1972. This is my first time seeing Dracula AD 1972. You know, as we talked about with the Frankenstein um, movie of what, like a month ago or whatever. Um, I haven't seen very many of these hammers at all. So, you know, I was excited that you picked this. Even if I didn't love that Frankenstein one, I do feel like this is a big blind spot for me, you know, that the hammer movies and uh, I'm ready to uh, remedy that. So um, I was into it from the, you, you know, the start, also, I was into it just based on the fact that this is indeed a very colorful movie, you know, which is, I think, how the Frankenstein movie was sold to me, and I didn't find it to be too colorful. But this thing, just popping with color from the get-go, and uh, the HD pixels out there for this right now are pretty nice. So uh, I was into that. I, I guess this was shot by DP Dick Bush, uh, who, if the name Dick Bush doesn't ring a bell... Uh, he also shot Sorcerer. He shot Phase Four, Tommy. Uh, he shot Little Monsters with Fred Savage. Uh, a lot of great work from this guy, and he does a great job here. Um, I like how he shot that opening uh, horse and buggy battle scene. I thought it looked pretty exciting the way that was all filmed. Um, at first, actually, I thought that might have been like a replay of a clip from a prior movie, but I. I don't think that's actually the case. Um, I think, it, yeah, they just shot that for this and kind of mm. cool that there's like this big action scene right at the beginning. That's not the kind of pacing you expect from these movies necessarily. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that like directly ties into the last movie at all. Like if that's like a direct continuation or anything. Cause like I said, I haven't seen the movie before this, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, but either way, you're right. It's, it's definitely a, a, a high gear to start the movie in, which you probably would not expect if you had 
if the only other Hammer movie you had seen was the Frankenstein we watched last time, which is slow pretty much the whole time, even during the exciting parts. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not sure either because, you know, like I said, I haven't seen any of these other Hammer Draculas, but I think that opening may be like a big retcon based on something that I saw on Wikipedia that it was like they basically changed all of the chronology and timelines and uh, even some of the incidents uh, that happened in, in the prior movies when they made that opening, but didn't bother me. I mean, I, I haven't seen the other ones, so it didn't really matter, but um, I thought that stuff was cool. And, and, you know, then they cut over to London, London in the seventies looks great. You know, I, I love the street scenes in this. You got cool cars on the road, cool looking ladies walking around. Um, you know, actually I wonder if one of the reasons that this looks so nice is that it is a Warner brothers co-production, I'm guessing that it was probably higher budget than other, you know, typical hammer flicks, you know, but if that's the case, that's fine. Uh, you know, however they got mm-hmm. there, it, it does look nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it certainly looks it. Cause yeah, a lot of the other hammer horror movies I've seen are, they've, they're very stagey. Like they're just on like a sound sound stage with like a couple of sets, you know, and like they're very play like. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. So yeah, it probably, probably does have a higher budget. Yeah, that's kind of the impression that I've always had with the Hammer movies is that they would all be kind of like indoors and just feel kind of stagey. But this doesn't really feel like that. It you know it feels like it takes place in in the real world and, and a cool world at that. You know, it being 1970s London. Um, in terms of the cast, you know, obviously you're never going to top Bela and, and Boris for Dracula and, and Frankenstein. Um, but I think Chris Lee is probably closer to nailing Dracula than he is at nailing Frankenstein, at least for me. I I thought he was better in this than in the last movie, but I was wondering like while watching this, like, is the guy really foreign enough to play Dracula? Like, isn't there supposed to be like an element of like British xenophobia in that character? Whereas like in this, I mean, it just feels like a regular rich British dude, you know, like an upper class British guy. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's been a while since I've seen the the first Dracula. I forget he might just be a British dude. Like that, they might just adapt it to him just being a British dude. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, so that's kind of weird. But I will say that his Dracula is kind of progressive in terms of you know. There's a scene in this where uh, he's like kind of not hyped to find his vampire in training fooling around with a black girl. But then he, you know, to his credit, he says, what the hell? It's the 70s. And then he, he gets down with an old uh, neck bite on her and puts, you know, puts those uh, old ways behind him. I, I thought that was kind of progressive for this 1970s Dracula. Um, yeah, I mean, as for Peter Cushing, I like the guy okay. But I think it does say something about England that such a prim and proper and mild-mannered dude could become like a big star over there. Like he is the textbook definition of unassuming, you know, like when, when your chief defining characteristic is kind of thinner than your average man, I guess is what you would say is his defining characteristic. That's maybe not a great sign, uh, but he, you know, he's fine in this. He, he does his Cushing thing. Uh, the villain guy, this Johnny Alucard looks a little bit like Brian Eno in the early days of Roxy music. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Roxy Music did have like a, a B-side called Johnny Alucard. That sounds like something they might have recorded there in the early 70s. He's all right, I guess. Um, I liked to see the band Stone Ground in this. 
I had never heard of them before, but I thought that they were kind of perfectly cast as this stereotypical early 70s hippie rock band. I guess the members of that band would go on to form Pablo Cruz a bit later. So if you're a big Pablo Cruz head out there, I guess you got to look this up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was less into the story of this. Like the story in this movie is extremely boilerplate and predictable. You've seen a thousand movies exactly like this. And, you know, as I mentioned before, it, it seemingly bungles the chronology of the established Hammer Horror uh, Dracula series. So I'm sure that's that's a bummer for somebody out there. But the big crime, I guess, is that they didn't really squeeze any interesting things into the middle of this movie. It, like you said, it, it starts off strong, it ends strong. In the middle, it really could have used like a couple of kill scenes or something or like a cool set piece or something, but it's mostly just kind of boring detective work there in the middle. Um, and then even at the end, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit underwhelming. Like, you know, this Alucard guy sees a whole lot of sunlight before he dies and he doesn't even burst into flames like a cool John Carpenter vampire. He just sort of gets like a mild sunburn that is somehow fatal. It's a pretty weak way to kill this guy. And then Dracula spends the whole fucking movie like locked up in a church or something. Like this is 1972 and Dracula is not out at a discotheque or, or <laughs> mixing it up with these hippies, you know, like they really, I think, blow the opportunity here to have Dracula in modern day because he's in a church that for all I know is fucking from 1672. You know, it's a, it's a church that's like hundreds of years old. Like it's, that's a weird choice. Yeah. And then, yeah, that, that's definitely the fatal flaw. It's like, you get a lot of like modern day England at the very beginning, like at that party and stuff. And like, you really do want Dracula to walk around and you know, like, yeah, like take the, a taxi. When, yeah. Like when the title card comes up, it says Dracula AD 1972. And, uh, it's like superimposed over a jet flying over London. And it's like, yeah, you want Dracula to do more modern day stuff as is promised on that title card screen. Get in a, get in, go to a club, get in a taxi, go, go to a rock and roll show, do something. But yeah, he just kind of never does. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a bummer. And then even without him mixing it up in the modern world, I'd like to see him do some, some killing, some murdering of, of victims on screen. This is a Dracula movie, but instead this movie kind of does the Halloween ends thing where it's like his henchman does the killing and Johnny Alucard. I mean, as, as cool as early Roxy music is, this Johnny Alucard's not as cool as Dracula. You know, I don't need him doing my murders for me. So I was a bit underwhelmed. I, I, and also not to spoil things for a Dracula, but the guy sure has bad luck when it comes to like falling heart first onto wooden stakes. Happens twice in one fucking movie that you die this way. <laughs> Jesus Christ, like, learn not how to fall heart first onto a wooden stake, Dracula. Um, but overall, yeah, this was okay. I would watch more of these and be fine with it, if not fully excited about it. Yeah, I agree pretty much mostly with what both of you said. I had never seen this movie before either. Um, as we talked about on the last junk food dinner, I... I've always kind of had an aversion to the hammer horror stuff. I've never been fully into it, despite the fact that obviously I love, you know, the universal stuff, just 
the the dryness, the Britishness of it, the old timey Victorian nature of it all uh, was usually kind of a bummer. And so this did appeal to my senses. Uh, the fact that this does take place in modern time uh, by modern, we mean 1972, you know, England uh, that was appealing to me. And I like that because, you know, again, they start the movie off in, you know, standard hammer horror, old timiness uh, with the carriages and the castles and the countrysides and all that. And then, you know, they cut to that airplane and you're in modern t- in 1972 and it's fun. You got, you know, uh, the soundtrack to this is fun besides, uh, the stone ground. You've got kind of like, a, you know, kind of like a seventies funky soundtrack and, uh, that's all fun. And the locations are really cool in this. Um, especially that, uh, cavern coffee house that they spend most of their time in. That place is amazing. I'm sure it was just a set, you know, not a real place. Maybe it was a real place, but it looks, you know, straight out of an acid trip. And it's like, yeah, if I had a coffee shop like that in my town, that's where I'd be hanging out all the time, too. And it is where they close it down uh, after the cops find out that it's a place that is dealing weed and LSD under the table, as if this place couldn't get any cooler. Uh, and then it's used as the location for where uh, Johnny IU card lures uh, some of the girls in. Uh, but yeah, I agree that this movie starts off strong. I love that opening party scene where all the uptight Brits were getting upset of this American rock band and all the, you know, all the hippie dancing and, and making out that was going on in this kind of posh apartment then they run from the cops and of course you know like all good teens are always looking for the next big kick they want to perform satanic rituals because i mean who doesn't at that age and yeah it's fun so it starts fun like you said it's a kevin movie i was all in i liked the aesthetic i liked it all but i agree it gets a little boring towards the middle and i'm just gonna say it and i think you know i think you guys alluded to it peter cushing kind of a bore I mean, and this is especially, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and he's in a lot of it. I mean, and he, you know, he's dealing with the cops. He's searching for his granddaughter. He's trying to figure out what Alucard spells backwards. And we, we see a lot of this Peter Cushing. And he's, I don't know, just not the most exciting dude, uh, especially at this time to carry this. And again, especially when you have all this like swinging early 70s london stuff going around you're like i don't want to see peter cushing in an office fucking making a chart over the letters in dracula i want to see what's happening at that cavern coffee club i want to see some scantily clad uh you know british girls dancing it up to funky 70s tunes like and like you said there's a real missed opportunity to have old school dracula in modern times you know walking around piccadilly circus and like what is what are these bell bottoms i hear of you know like that would have been great uh but they don't really do any of that uh christopher lee is cool as dracula as you would expect but again pretty underutilized in this like you said most of the heavy lifting goes to johnny alucard um and his death scene uh johnny alucard again not to spoil anything but uh Peter Cushing's like going all the ways you can kill a vampire, you know, the classic stake through the heart, you know, it was like silver does have an effect, sunlight has an effect. He's like, but I've heard that running water can kill a vampire. It's like, what the fuck? Where'd this come from? 
And then it, not even holy water, just running water. And then that's how this Johnny Alucard dies as he gets like put in a shower. And, and it's like, and there's again, another opportunity there where they could have had some cool, you know, practical effects. Again, I know this is 1972 and it's England and they're uptight about gore effects and all that stuff. But you know, he gets a little blistery under the runny water, but I think they could have taken it a little further and made that death scene a little bit more entertaining. Um, but it does kind of finish strong. And, and again, like Sean said, it's not exactly uh, one that's going to keep you guessing. I mean, you pretty much can predict where this thing is going to go, you know, from scene to scene. It's, it doesn't have a lot of surprises. And there's a lot of downtime with Peter Cushing being old and, boring but uh but the stuff that's cool is cool the music's fun um the kids are fun and you know it overall i I had a good time watching it uh especially like i said a lot more than the average hammer horror i think just because of the modern setting and the funky tunes uh went a long way to keep me engaged uh so for that i say it was it was worth it wonderful I'm glad you guys mostly like this. Um, this great Halloween film that we're watching on Halloween week. Um, but yeah, I, I agree about Peter Cushing. He was like 60 when they made this movie and he'd been playing this character for like over a decade. So I think he was probably just kind of over, over it all, but yeah, definitely well, the weak link. Yeah. They could have replaced him with somebody hunkier. Or just someone that, like, you know, had some enthusiasm for the role. <laughs> yeah. Someone who can move around physically. That would be good. Someone Maybe who somebody who didn't. Honking sexually- on his granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sexually assaulting every <laughs> actress on set. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good, too. Um, but yeah. Well, all right. Well, that, that wraps it up for uh, Dracula 1972. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be taking a journey to the center of the earth. Now, when will cancel culture come for Cushing? He's been canceled. He's dead. They killed him. I lit a cigarette 
giant monster bird comes back to life. Get a rifle! Bring me a rifle! The legend of dinosaurs and monster birds. It's alive! I saw it! eruption of Mount Fuji releases the monster. If you are strong enough, see the legend of dinosaurs and monster birds. All right, welcome back to Junk Food Dinner, the next uh, Halloween movie on the show tonight. It's going to be Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Uh, Wait, say that word again. Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Sours. Oh, yeah. You don't know, you don't know about dinosaurs? No. Is that a new candy from the no, makers of uh, <laughs> Warheads? It's just a fun alternate pronunciation yeah. that I use to, you know, spice up my own life. You okay. Know? All right. That's, that's how Mr. DNA pronounces it. Yeah, it's it's from Jurassic Park. It's correct. Yeah, Dino DNA. Um, anywho, this is a kaiju flick released by the Toei Studios in 1977 and later aired on MST3K uh, that I had never seen before, but I picked it because I thought it would be fun to see a Toei kaiju flick because uh, that company didn't make too many of them. Um, and also because I had heard that this was partially inspired by The Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, which I host a podcast about, if you didn't know. Um, and I guess it turns out that there is like some journey stuff in this, but it's also probably more Jaws based in reality, and probably, and also very much Loch Ness monstery. Um, that's that's a big thing in this is the Loch Ness monster. I, th- I think um, there are scenes directly stolen from Jaws in this. Multiple and, and entire yeah. characters, yeah. <laughs> and if I spoke Japanese, probably full lines of dialogue, I'm guessing. But uh, very Jaws-esque, uh, as we'll get into. But uh, the story does take place in a spooky forest by a lake right by Mount Fuji, Japan. Uh, it's actually that famous Japanese suicide forest that you've heard so much about. Um, over there one day, a woman falls into a giant cave where she discovers dinosaur eggs and alerts the news media to her discovery. 
this draws the attention of a scientist named Takashi who wants to go check it out, uh, partially because his own late father had a theory about dinosaurs living deep underground beneath Mount Fuji. Uh, so anyhow, he heads over there and meets up with a dude named Shohei, uh, who was friends with his dad, and starts taking a lay of the land. Uh, but pretty quickly, things get out of control. Uh, animals are turning up mysteriously dead. People are turning up mysteriously dead. And then, you know, by the time the theory of the dinosaur's return comes about, not everybody's believing it. And maybe they won't believe it until things are too late. Uh, it all ends with a simultaneous volcano explosion and dinosaur battle, the likes of which you've never seen. Unless, you know, you've seen this movie before. Um and actually, this is just generally kind of a kaiju movie, the likes of which you've never seen. Um, Toei's bread and butter before this was primarily exploitation movies, you know, uh, a lot of Yakuza flicks, a lot of, you know, pinky violence type stuff, sexploitation type stuff. And I think you can really feel that tendency towards sleaze here with this movie. I mean, this is a much nastier movie than like the mid-70s Godzilla movies that Toho was putting out, you know, around this time. It's got a pretty high gore quotient. Uh, it's got a little bit of nudity and just kind of got like a mean tone throughout the entire movie uh, that starts like right from the get-go. I mean, they only make the perverts wait about five seconds before there's this big, long, extended up upskirt panty shot where that girl, poor girl who falls into the cave, falls like crotch first towards camera for what seems like forever. Um, so it's, it's a sleazy flick. Um, I, you know, I guess the behind the scenes story goes that the producers at Toei saw Jaws and in particular saw the success Jaws was having and decided that monster movies were the thing to make. And that's kind of what uh, spawned them to make this. At least that's, yeah. you know, the story on Wikipedia, but I, and you know, obviously there are a lot of Jaws scenes in this, but I, I find it kind of strange that they had to look that far for the inspiration to make a monster movie when it's like, it's kind of what your country had been doing already for like 20 years, you know, just look over at Daiye or Toho and they've been cranking them out all along. But yeah, I also read somewhere that this was Toei's largest budgeted movie. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Like well, yes, it's definitely not a cheap production. This is a 750 million yen picture. Uh, that's about $2.8 million. And for perspective, Toho spent about $1.2 million per Godzilla movie for all of their Ziller movies that came out in the 1970s. So this cost more than twice the most expensive Godzilla movie did up until that point in time. And where that money went, I will never know. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't really <laughs> see the production value on screen. I think a lot of that must be like ramp up costs, you know, like they had to like build all of these sets, you know, for like, you know, the giant water tank and things like this. And they just didn't have experience in making these kinds of movies. So I, I think there were just like a lot of ramp up costs associated with that. Probably also this director probably takes a little bit of the blame for this being so expensive. Uh, this guy, Junji Karada, had done like some directing work before. He, you know, he did a whole string of features for Toei in the 1960s, but it had been almost 10 years since he directed anything by the time that he got around to this. And this was the last movie that he made. And I think it might just be a case of like an old guy 
not really knowing how to make this newfangled kaiju movie and, and maybe just uh, not being super efficient at, at you know doing so. But that said, I mean, I, its budget is is no concern to me. I mean, I, I don't lose or, or make money on this film's grosses. And I think when you compare it to a you know Godzilla movie of the time, it it fits within. I mean, some of those '70s Godzilla movies look kind of cheap, and this fits within that world. This doesn't look worse than a Gamera movie. Like I'll say that much. Um, I don't so know. I, well, I, I thought it, it looked serviceable. I, for, um, I, I'm just saying from a monster perspective. I mean, yeah the the human stuff looks fine, but yeah, these dinosaurs it's, look like fucking garbage. Well, it's it's actually a, a nicely photographed movie. I, I think the Toei, you know, has a lot of talent in that area. You know, maybe because they were shooting all these sexploitation movies, like, and they just wanted, you know, the pretty ladies to look pretty up on screen, but they know how to point a camera and like there's some nice compositions in this. Like the film just looks nice, like vibrant, colorful, but yeah, uh, you know, the, are the monsters any good? Eh, not really. Um, but I you know, I guess my favorite part of this movie was probably that dragon themed music festival where the stage has like a giant painting of like a dragon slash dinosaur on it. And, and the stage itself is like floating on a lake uh, with the kids kind of like partying, you know, on the beach, you know, they're, they're listening to the music from the beach, just kind of partying. And, you know, I think that's the scene in which this movie feels the most like Jaws. Uh, they do the thing in that scene where a couple of kids are like faking out people on the beach with like fake fins that they're wearing as they swim along trying to spook people into thinking that the monster is there. But wouldn't you know it, it's just these, these pimple faced teens well, you can't um, just gloss over who is performing on the stage. Well, who? What? Well, I mean, it's it's this weird. Do you know the the artist? They're like a country and western themed Japanese. It's the Japanese. It's the Japanese cowboy from the Ween song. Is that the Japanese cowboy from the Ween song? No, <laughs> that's all I could think about when I saw that. Though, but I've yeah never seen a Japanese cowboy before, except as referenced in that Ween song is a example of a rarity so it is yeah. a rare thing to see <laughs> i think there was one in tampopo if i recall but yeah they, they're rare and it's but this is like yeah it's like a whole country western band you know they got their uh their bolo ties and their cowboy hats and their country western shirts and and all that uh they look cool and it looks like a cool party that i would like to be at you know even if there are pimple face teens faking out you know everybody with their fake uh dinosaur fins there's also like a mayor character around here that is kind of similar to the mayor from jaws um what else about this you know it's got a nice soundtrack some cool funk music on the soundtrack um some instrumentals and some songs with japanese lyrics yeah. uh it's kind of got the like, soundtrack is wild dude you like it, it or you don't like it i like it it it's cool like i'd love to have the record of the soundtrack but it does not work with the. It's like it. It. It's like there was no thought given to like the music in the movie. They just had all this cool music, and they're just like, yeah, just throw it in, whatever. Like the music is like wildly inappropriate for the scenes. <laughs> like it doesn't match like the the tone of any of the fucking scenes in this movie. You didn't mm -hmm. like? Well, I thought in like the climactic 
scene, you know, where like the volcano's exploding and it's this kind of cool funk song. Like I thought that worked really well in the climax. You didn't like it there at least? I mean, again, I, I, I stress, I like the soundtrack. In fact, I'm looking right now to see if I can find a, a copy of it on vinyl. It's the Japanese funk, which Corey Haim is way into, um, <laughs> that I love. Yep. And, and the tunes, again, are great. But it, they just feel just crazy out of place in this, in this movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a change of pace from, you know, the traditional Godzilla music. You know, there, there's not any of that kind of symphonic orchestral type stuff in this. It is, it seems like it's almost all like rock and roll, like funk music, but yeah. well, it's know, a change I'm, I'm of pace from, from like any movie, like, because it is like <laughs> Kevin said, it just, it's like, it feels random. It's like it, almost experimental in a way. So yeah, it's definitely a change of pace. Well, clearly Toei didn't have, you know, a lick of a clue of what the fuck they were doing making a kaiju movie that they had no experience doing this. They didn't know that you couldn't put silly funk songs under an action scene. And honestly, I don't know it either. Cause, cause I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a combination that worked. Is it conventional? No. Did it work for me? Yeah. I, th- I thought it was fun. Um, there's also kind of an environmental bent to this story. Some characters are chatting about abnormal weather patterns and, uh, nature's revenge against man's stupidity, I think is a line of dialogue at some point. Um, so that's kind of interesting, like for this early, you know, for 77, not that early, but fairly early for an environmental message in a movie like this. Um, yeah, o- overall, this is not perfect. Uh, these ki- like the kaiju fight scenes at the end are very silly, but I still found them to be very charming. The way that this giant pterodactyl bastard hops around on two little feet and the way that you can clearly see like the, the wire on the guy and they don't even really try to hide it. I thought was kind of adorable. Um, and also this is kind of like a, kind of a scary movie for a kaiju movie. Like I said before, a lot of gore, definitely some scenes that are intended to raise your spooky meter um, you know, some flashlight-based investigation scenes at night, um, and a pretty action-packed conclusion. So uh, I actually had a, a lot of fun with this. Even if it does slow down a little bit in the middle, you're still hanging out in mid to late 70s Japan, and that's a pretty cool place to be, if you ask me. But what did you guys think of The Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds? Well, this was a real mixed bag for me because I, I had never heard it or I had never seen this before. I had heard of it because I knew that it had been covered on, like you mentioned, the very first season of Mystery Science Theater 3000, I think back in the, you know, the cable access days, even it was one of the, the OG movies that they did. And obviously back then the version that they covered was like the, the version that had been distributed to American TV. It looked like shit. It was dubbed. It was very goofy, and so I was excited. So I never, I, I had never seen that episode. I just was aware of it. Um, so I was excited to see this, and I was pleasantly surprised when the startup um, one to see the Toei Company logo come up on screen because that's always just. I mean, that usually fills me with uh, some form of excitement because I'm a big fan of, of of their sleazier stuff, the pinky violence and stuff. So that that's always cool and. It looks good. This was a, a new, uh, obviously a very new restoration of it. I think it, this has been released on Blu-ray here in the United States as well as in Japan. And so yeah. 
I think it's uh, Discotech Media, I think, put it out. Yeah. So the transfer looked really good. And and like you said, it's not a poorly shot movie by any means. Um, it looks cool. And like Dracula AD 1972, uh, this is obviously set in the 70s, which they give you a little title card that says 1977 at the beginning of the movie. Why? I mean, it's not like this is a period piece. It was made in 1977. Why? I don't know why you have to announce what fucking year it is. Like, I don't know. That seemed weird to me. But, uh, but yeah, it's got you know the it's got, it's got swing in Japan in the 1970s. It's got a cool soundtrack. Like I said, I like the tunes. I, I again, don't get it twisted. I think the songs are very good. There's a lot of kind of funky Japanese kind of disco-y stuff on here, and it all sounds cool. But it's just placed at the most random ass places uh, in this movie. It's just like there's scenes that should be tense, and it's like a upbeat kind of dancey song. It's like this doesn't fit this scene at all. And then there's like a scene where like I don't know, people are getting attacked by fucking dinosaurs and stuff, and it's like a romantic slow dance and stuff. It's like what the fuck? Who's picking this music? Uh, but again, it's still still fun. I can live with that. Um, but yeah the whole plot was a little goofy and kind of all over the place i didn't really i i I would lose track of it for periods of time like wait what's going on now who's doing what what are they looking for now who's this and 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 it just kind of goes all over the place and so you're just sitting there waiting for the dinosaurs to show up and so the first dinosaur that shows up is this i think they call it a plesiosaurus which is basically kind of like a long neck uh brontosaurus almost dragon looking dinosaur and i'm sorry that thing just looks like shit it it just looks terrible uh it's it's got a real goofy looking googly eyed face to it there's nothing scary about it it's very herky jerky with its movements um and it just shows up very briefly and then goes away i mean i think they were trying to do the jaws approach where they're like don't show the monster too soon or too much keep it hidden and they should have kept this thing hidden uh, for good because it stinks. And then you get about an hour into the movie and you're like, well, where are these monster birds they have been <laughs> promising in the title? Mm-hmm. I've only seen this stupid dragon looking dinosaur. Where are these monster birds? And they just appear for no reason. Like there's these scientists talking about like, well, if this uh, Plesiosaurus uh, could appear, then it's also possible that a pterodactyl could appear and then just magically it just does appear and as bad as the plesiosaurus looks this pterodactyl looks like fucking trash uh it is the worst it looks have you ever seen the giant claw that old yeah yeah, black and white it looks so much like the giant claw it's almost like i almost had to wonder if like are they doing an homage to the giant claw are they trying to look shitty and then and so those show up and, and wreak a little havoc or, or one of it, you know, one. Um, and then, like you said, you get the kaiju battle at the end where the plesiosaurus fights the pterodactyl. And again, just when you thought this pterodactyl couldn't look any worse, it literally looks like a kite. Like on, like there's no movement to it. And, it does, and the shitty mm-hmm. plesiosaurus is just batting it around. And again, like you said, you can see the strings and it's just, yeah. I mean, again, I'm usually charmed by it, but yeah, but they should have done like rubber suited monsters, not usually, like this puppet. 
Usually something with wings that is flying will flap those wings rather than (laughs) just kind of glide across the sky endlessly. Yeah. And then not only that, but there was just so many weird and, and maybe because I did watch the dubbed version. Maybe there is some stuff that was lost in translation, but there was just so much stuff that like didn't make sense like whatsoever. So like there's a scene where the, the swinging geologist guy is uh, investigating some shit in the ocean. And the lady finds out that they're about to detonate these bombs to kill the, the Loch Ness monster dinosaur in the ocean where this guy happens to be at. And so she's like, I got to alert this guy and save him. So she drives all the way to her apartment where she could just have easily picked up the phone and like called the people that were about to detonate the bombs and be like, Hey, you know, there's a dude in the ocean. Don't set off these bombs. But instead of doing that, or just gone to the people right to the source of the people that were about to set off the bombs and done the same thing. Her, her plan is I'm going to go home, put on a wetsuit and then go try to get in the ocean and warn him in person, which she fails to do. The bombs go off (laughs) because she took way too long. And, uh, yeah, dude gets blown up. But he somehow survives it, despite the fact that these bombs were intended to kill a dinosaur. Uh, the man does survive that blast. An incredible story. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just a lot of stupid <laughs> shit like that. And uh, I don't know. It, so, again, mixed bag for me. Uh, you know, again, I have a pretty high tolerance for goofy, low-budget, kaiju stuff i love the 70s godzilla stuff i can admit that it's bad and stupid and silly but there's a level of charm there and there's a little level of charm here i don't want to say this movie's charm less uh because there are things that i liked about it and again cool soundtrack if not completely uh random uh but still cool nonetheless and like you said it looks good and some cool 70s fashions and uh you know just some cool locations and whatnot, but uh, if if you go into this with pretty low expectations for the dinosaur action, because it's few and far between, and when you do get it, it it's it's pretty rough, it's pretty terrible. Uh, but the other stuff is pretty fun, so a mixed bag, some some real highs, but some real lows as well. So uh, you know, temper your expectations, but I think you could still have fun with this with the right mindset. It sounds to me like you did not like this as much as Daigoro versus Goliath. No, I think I like this more than that. Oh, really? Okay, wow. All right. I think you guys both got to do yourselves a favor and stop watching these dubs. Let's let's respect the Japanese of this country. No, no, I refuse. Okay. All right. Well, that's your purview. As long as you do respect that (laughs) Halloween is still ongoing. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. I, 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 in retrospect, yes, I should have watched the dub. Had I known that my eyes could very easily be diverted from the kaiju action to read the <laughs> subtitles and not miss anything cool, then yes, I would have gone in that direction. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, going into this, I was very worried that it was another the same movie uh, that, that I've seen five times now in the last three months. Uh, another one of these journey to the, to the center of the earth. So I was very worried that this was just going to be that same story again. 
Especially because it kind of does start that way with the girl falling in the cave and then there's like all these crystals and stuff and it, it mm-hmm. looks like those other movies. Yeah. Yeah. That, that first scene especially worried me. I was worried that a boring scientist and a duck would show up to save her or something. Are you um, trash talking Gertrude the goose now? <laughs> I am. Yeah. God damn it. Um, yeah, but luckily it's not that, um, pretty Pretty quickly, it was apparent that it's, uh, at most, very loosely and vaguely inspired by Jules Verne. Uh, so that was a welcome addition. It's mostly. I mean, it would have been nice if there was like some sort of framework, like that Jules Verne framework to build off of, because it just seemed like the story, like Kevin said, gets confusing and it's boring in the middle and not really boring at all points, I guess. Um so it would have been nice to have some of that familiar Jules Verne framework so that I you know, had a roadmap of where we were and where we were going. Um, Cause this is very dull, very boring. Uh, I do like that cool band that Ween wrote the song about. Uh, I was very confident watching Dracula that my movie was going to have the coolest band in it, but I guess now it's debatable because his band was pretty good too. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, it's like I, I was, when I was watching this about like 30 minutes into it, I was like, this movie sucks. It is so boring. I'm going to turn on the mystery science theater version and see if that's any better. So I watched the rest of it with the mysteries or most of the rest of it with the mystery science theater. Once things actually picked up and the monsters showed up, I went back to the normal version. Um, but even the Mystery Science Theater episode, uh, not good. Not a good one. Like oh, yeah. Said, one. The, the, those early ones can be a little rough. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, there were a couple of funny parts, but uh, by and large, yeah, not not great. And the robots sounded weird. So that was off-putting. <laughs> um, still, still working out the kinks. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that didn't help the movie a whole lot. And then, like you guys said, yeah, those, like... You wait this whole time for these monsters, and not only do they pick the two, like, they're like, oh my god, there's going to be dinosaurs, dinosaurs and all this. They pick the two stupidest looking dinosaurs. Like, Plesiosaur is like a real goofball. It's just a fish with a giraffe neck. Like, that's not scary or cool. And then Kite is not (laughs) a very good dinosaur either. Um, I don't even understand the like the physics of how these two you know, like things would fight because they're both uh, inanimate basically. <laughs> yeah. It really did feel like kids just playing with action figures with very little points <laughs> of articulation. Yeah. It's yeah. It's baffling to see. Um, so yeah. And I mean, yeah, like you said, like they could have just, done the Toho thing, just put some dudes in monster suits and we could have had a cool movie on our hands, but yeah, they just, I, I don't understand how this is the most more expensive than two Godzilla movies because yeah, there's, it seems like it should have been the cheapest one. Like they, they, just didn't, put, they didn't put any time or effort or money into this thing. It's just baffling well, to every single funk band on the soundtrack got a million dollars. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so very boring, very bad movie. Um, yeah, I, 
at least it wasn't a Jules Verne movie, I guess, because I mean, I get, it sort of was, but at least it was different than those, you know. So that's really the silver lining here. So I didn't have to watch the same movie for the sixth time. You you know well and good that none of those journeys have been similar to each other so far. Some of them had <laughs> King Kongs in them. Some of them had <laughs> Kathy Irelands in them. They've all been different. That one was a little bit different. The Kathy Ireland one was a little bit different. But the the first three or four or whatever were exactly the same. I, I doubt it. <laughs> I did find it interesting reading the Wikipedia for this that I guess it was kind of a, a, a box office bomb when it was released in Japan, but later became a giant box office hit in the Soviet Union. See? A sign of quality mm. if I ever heard of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, this movie is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's that's pretty much this movie. I mean, I'm I'm not shocked to hear that you didn't like it, Bowman. But I, I thought Kevin, you you might have had a little more fun with this. Uh, I said it was a mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, it's nobody's claiming this is Citizen Kane or anything, but no. How many kaiju movies even are there from the 70s? Even if you do open it up like Beyond Toei, they didn't make a billion of these. So I think they're they're all kind of valuable in some way. Yeah, and and it looks like a lot of the releases like in the 80s when it was on TV and on home video, it was just called Legend of the Dinosaurs. They they skipped the monster birds part because they they knew they couldn't deliver on that. Yeah, I mean especially cuz there's only one and I I don't even know how they got the audacity to pluralize it in the title, you know. Yeah, it's or, barely and, even one. And yeah, it's not a monster bird. Like a pterodactyl's not a bird. Yeah, it's you know they made some choices. Maybe not all of them worked out exactly how we would have wanted, but I think we all agree that this is a great movie that we all loved. And so I think that about wraps it up for the Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. We'll take a quick break, and then we're going to come back to talk about bad boys. Stick around. Bad birds. Bad birds.
Once, little boys grew up to be reliable and hardworking. But now, in their world, respect has to be earned and kept by a lethal combination of money and violence. Bad boys. Meet Michael O'Brien. Luke, I don't want you to die. Nothing's gonna happen to me. He loves JC and the excitement of being somebody that matters. We're gonna be in and out of there so fast. Like that. Bad boys. juvenile facility that means you are not in charge of the zoo we are come on let's go bad boys so how do you like it so far do your time clean and you walk any trouble and you could grow old in here jack there's only one person left who believes Mick O'Brien can make it. Mick O'Brien. Life has pushed him into a corner. And he's coming out fighting. Bad boys. In a detention center, time stands still. But O'Brien won't stand for the arrival of a sworn enemy. You know, depending on who's gonna kill who, Moreno's the odds-on favorite. He's gonna kill you. That's what he says. Oh, well, let me tell you something, Maricon, you're already dead. Bad Boys. A story of the survival of the fittest. Every day is a duel of strength against weakness. Bad Boys. Welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The final movie we're going to be taking a look at on our November non-Halloween episode is Bad Boys. This is a 1995 film by Michael Bay starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Bad Boys from 1983. This is a prison drama starring a young Sean Penn. And the reason why I picked this for the show this week, very simple. Uh, last month on our Halloween theme show, uh, we did Pet Cemetery 2. And we saw a performance, a wonderful performance by... Clancy Brown, and it made me remember that there's another great Clancy Brown performance in 1983's Bad Boys, and I was like, oh shit, have we not done Bad Boys on Junk Food Dinner yet? And we hadn't, and so I was like, well, we gotta rectify that, and so I picked it for the show, um, because I, I'm a big fan of this movie, spoiler alert, I mean, I wouldn't have picked it if I wasn't, I wasn't taking a risk on this one, this was a proven one for me. Uh, I, I was a fan of this. I've been a fan of this for a while. Uh, and this is basically a, a juvenile delinquent, you know, prison movie, uh, that has a, a pretty stellar cast of actors who would later go on, uh, to bigger fame. Um, like I said, this stars, uh, Sean Penn as a 16 year old street tough from Chicago named Mick O'Brien, which I guess... They changed from the original character's name, Potato McIrish Head. Um, no. Uh, but yes, the most stereotypical <laughs> Irish name they could give him, Mick O'Brien. Uh, he's, like I said, a, a, a street tough in Chicago. We start the movie off with him smashing an old lady's car window when she's at a red light and grabbing her purse off the seat and running from the cops and uh, fucking a dude up that gives chase to him. And so he is 
a titular bad boy. Um, we also meet another bad boy on the streets of Chicago, uh, Paco Moreno, played by the wonderful Isai Morales, who you might remember as playing Bob, Richie Valens' brother, in La Bamba. He is a member of a Latino street gang in Chicago, and they have recently come into possession of a suitcase full of drugs, a, a Hunter S. Thompson-esque suitcase of a menagerie of all kinds of pills and powders. Uh, why they have such a diverse portfolio of drugs, they don't really say, but they, they've, they've gotten a hold of this, and they're looking to make a big deal um, with a fellow black gang to, to unload this product. But there's, there's some distrust amongst Latinos in the black gang, and they're afraid you know one of them might fuck the other one over, so they're, they're proceeding with caution. But one of, uh, a honky by the name of... Um, Oh, what's his name? Is it's the guy that plays Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Alan uh, Ruck. Alan Ruck. Uh, he plays a character named Carl in this. He's just happens to be at a payphone that overlooks uh, the alleyway where uh, the Latino gang and the Black gang are, you know, making arrangements for this drug deal. And he sees the stash that these guys got. He relays this message to Sean Penn at school. Uh, and all these kids are in high school. They all go to the same high school. And he's like, yo, Paco and his gang, they got a stash of drugs. They're about to make this deal tomorrow night. Uh, we can probably intercept it and you know, snag these drugs. Um, and so they make a plan. They steal a car. They get some ski mask, and they go downtown where this drug deal is about to take place. Uh, but like all plans, things go awry. Uh Unfortunately, Alan Ruck gets shot, and uh, in the melee, Sean Penn accidentally hits uh, Isai Morales' younger brother with the car and kills him, and he crashes the car, gets busted, and gets sent away to, even though he's a juvenile, uh, and you know the the judge gives this whole speech about how he wishes he could give him a longer sentence. You know the the law protects juveniles, but nevertheless, because his crime was so heinous, he's going to send him to the juvenile penitentiary for the worst of the worst. This place, uh, I forget what it's called, but some some correctional facility, Rainford Correctional Facility, and again, that's where like the worst of the worst of juvenile offenders go. So Sean Penn gets sent there until. He does his time and gets released, you know, I think uh, ostensibly like on his 18th birthday. Uh, when he gets there, it's a rowdy scene. As you can imagine, uh, there's a bunch of wild-ass kids there. Uh, they spit on him as he's walking in. A lot of harassment. Um, he meets his cellmate, uh, a gentleman uh, by the name of, uh, let's see, Barry Horowitz, played by... Eric Gurry, and he seems like kind of an, uh, you know, someone that you wouldn't expect in a prison like this. He's kind of a scrawny, you know, little Jewish nebish, nebish kid, but we find out that uh, he firebombed a bowling alley and killed three people, so that's why he's there. Uh, but he is, uh, you know, kind of an, uh, a New York... And... Yeah? So, sorry to interrupt, but I think at least a few of the people that he killed were the people he was not intending to kill, too. Right. Exactly. That's how much of a, of a creep he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, he quickly, he and Sean Penn quickly kind of bond uh, over their hatred for being in this prison and their hatred uh, for the kind of 
you know, tough guy of the prison, played by Clancy Brown, a guy named Viking, Viking Lofgren, uh, who is kind of the the bully of this uh, a prison, along with his buddy uh, Tweedy Jerome, and they kind of run this thing, uh, but and they've got it out for uh, Sean Penn immediately. They, you know, want to fuck with him. Uh, he sees them go into a, a kid's cell and, and perform rapes on him, and that rubs him the wrong way, and then they start coming for him. And then Sean Penn, uh, he's not going to be taken for no fool. He fills a, uh, a pillowcase filled with Coke cans, or I think more uh, accurately, RC uh, cans. They've got some RC vending machines in this, and uh, just beats the dog shit out of <laughs> Viking and Tweedy with this uh, pillowcase full of Coke cans and a pretty brutal attack. And then after that, uh, he's the he's the king of the, the yard. Um, and then you, you've got, um, let's see, uh, Rennie uh, Santoni uh, playing a guy named Ramon Herrera. He's kind of like the, you know, the counselor slash guard in this juvenile facility trying to get these kids on the right track, trying to, you know, get to the center of why Mick O'Brien is such a bad boy. Um, but just when things are starting to kind of, you know, heat up in there, when the the tension between Viking and Tweedy and, and Mick and uh, Barry Horowitz, is, it's, it's all heating up. Wouldn't you know it, Isai Morales uh, tries to get his revenge on Sean Penn uh, for killing his brother by... Uh, assaulting and raping his girlfriend, played by a young Ali Sheedy on the outside, uh, but gets busted in the act, and Ali Sheedy, you know, points him out in the lineup, says, that's the dude that raped me, and now Paco gets sent to the same, the same juvenile facility, uh, and now it's, it's a real pot boiler, and these bad boys are not going to get along. Um, and it all comes to a head uh, in a final climactic scene, which has one of the craziest fucking errors I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, in, in the middle of this giant fight scene, uh, this climactic fight scene at the end of the movie, there is a full-fledged cameraman, fully visible, uh, for about two seconds in the scene, which is just wild. How nobody caught this in the editing process, I will never understand. Or how, like, in subsequent home video releases, it would be very easy just to clip this two seconds where this just cameraman is sitting there with a camera, standing around with a bunch of uh, juvenile delinquents in this prison. It's wild how that ended up in there, uh, but it's in there. Um, but nevertheless, I again, I, I really like this movie. I saw this maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think I rented it from D- on DVD maybe back in the old Netflix DVD days. Uh, I just kind of heard about it, and and like I said, it's got a pretty amazing cast. Um, like I said, you got young Sean Penn. This is just made a year after he did Fast Times. Um, Isai Morales, I think it's one of his first movies. I think it's the first movie of Ali Sheedy and Alan Ruck and Clancy Brown. Um, and and Clancy Brown again, awesome in this. He's j- just really plays a, a menacing asshole, like you, you know, as he always does. And even as a, a young teen, he's. He's super menacing and um, scary. So, you know, it would only get uh, get better from there. Uh, 
But yeah, this is directed by Rick Rosenthal, who you might remember uh, two years before this, he directed Halloween 2. And he puts a little homage to Halloween 2 in this movie. In the one of the inner city scenes at the beginning of the movie, we see an old movie theater with Halloween 2 on the marquee. So giving himself a little shout out there, which I like. And apparently, oh, that's why you picked this movie this week. Yeah, it is a Halloween like, movie. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, I think also Jamie Lee Curtis makes a small cameo in one of the downtown scenes, but I, I was not able to pick up on that. But, um, but yeah, so uh, he he also directed Halloween Resurrection in 2002. Let's not hold that against him. And a whole bunch of lesser known or lesser interesting movies in between. Uh, also did a bunch of TV stuff. He did that shitty Birds 2 Land's End movie, that made-for-TV movie, although he did take his name off that and had it credited as Alan Smithy, so good for him. But then, you know, it, it, when it came to the 90s, he was pretty much exclusively doing television stuff, stuff like uh, Law and & Order, and uh, he directed a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Parker and stuff like that, Veronica nice. Mars, all that good stuff. So, um, but anyway... I think this is a good, a, a, a very good, very interesting, well-acted, and enjoyable movie. It is a little long, so it's about two hours, um, and it definitely could have been whittled down a little bit. I think it you know, takes a little bit too much time. Like There's a scene where Sean Penn and Barry break out of prison to go see Ali Sheedy after she's been raped, and it, it, it just takes way too long, and it, it feels unnecessary and it kind of slows the movie down you know you think a prison breakout would you know spice the movie up but i think it eh, it doesn't really do, do it and it also is weird because he's on foot and the police know exactly where he's going but somehow he be- beats the police to her house you know they're in cars going directly there and he had to like i don't know hitch a ride on a turnip truck there and somehow he still beats them there i don't it doesn't make sense but <laughs> nevertheless um, I think this is a lot of fun, especially, you know, I love a good prison movie, whether it's a women in prison movie, men in prison movie, juveniles in prison. I love the prison dynamic, especially, you know, when it kind of has a CD kind of vibe to it. And this kind of does, I mean, while it's, this was, you know, a theatrical release and it's, you know, not exactly a high budget movie. I think it was a $5 million budget, but it does feel, it does have a little bit of a grindhouse feel to it. And like I said, the cast is outstanding, you know, everybody in it. Uh, almost, you know, would go on to bigger and better things. So there's a lot of young talent on display here. Um, in fact, I think there could have been even more. I think Tom, both Tom Cruise and Matt Dillon um, tried out for the Sean Penn role. So, you know, who knows what could have been. But, uh, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I love, the, like I said, the dynamic between the, the kids in the prison, especially, you know, all the shit between Clancy Brown and Sean Penn and... Barry and and the way that they kind of go back and forth and get revenge on one another and stuff. And it's pretty high stakes. I mean, these kids aren't fucking around. These aren't like uh, low stakes, little pranks and stuff. They, they want to fucking kill each other. And so it's pretty wild. There's a great scene where, with a bomb placed in a boom box that I think is amazing. Um, just stuff like that is just really fun. Um, so I really like this movie, um, but I am curious to find out. Uh, what you guys thought of 1983's Bad Boys? Well, I'd never seen these Bad Boys, uh, but I was eager to do so because I like it. Any, you know, like you said, I like anytime anybody goes to jail. Prison movies are always pretty fun, and it's got a cool cast. And you mentioned that my man Clancy was in it, and I like Clancy. 
Um, yeah, fresh off the boat from Urbana, Ohio. Yeah, um, he's got a cool haircut in this. Like very, yeah. <laughs> very fluffy and blonde. Like a little blonde, I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a like it's almost like what Beavis from Beavis and Butthead's hair would look like if he was in real life. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So I like the beginning parts. Like I was a little like it took me a minute to get into. Um, like before all the prison stuff, it seemed like a weird like it was going to be like some weird cautionary tale, like a little bit too like kind of after school, specially. Um, yeah, maybe. So I don't know. It took, it took me a minute to get into it. Then like it kind of bounces around between like all the different characters. So I wasn't sure who's going to be. I mean, I guess I knew that Sean Penn was going to be like the main character because he's on the cover. But I was like, well, why are we, why are we spending time with this person? Why is this person like, you know, and like the fact that Cameron's in it confused me. I was like, okay, well, he's going to be like the second most main star, right? Because he's pretty famous. But I guess maybe he wasn't famous at the time because he. No, I think I think it was his first movie. Yeah, yeah. So I was like a little bit, you know, confused as to where I was supposed to be paying most of the attention to or whatever. Like, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed a little confused near the beginning. But once they go to, to prison, or once Sean Penn goes to prison, and he's walking through and everybody's just spitting on him. And he's just taking it. The kid he, he gets thrown in jail with, like, he doesn't take it. He freaks out when everybody's spitting on him. But I guess Sean Penn realizes what the rules are and he goes with it. It's a, it's a very good scene. And then from there, um, you know, at first I was like, well, I don't care that I'm, I don't care for the idea of me watching this on Halloween. This is not a Halloween movie, but this movie scared the hell out of me. Uh, so kind of a Halloween movie because it reminded me of this place that I'm sure I've talked about before called the Elon School. I, I talked to the, a guy who directed a movie about the place for one of the bonus episodes a long time ago, at least. And it's this place that existed up until a few years ago, like since like it was from like the 50s to just a few years ago, where they would send troubled teens to. And it was like way up in the middle of nowhere in Maine. And the way that they would do this, like your parents or your school would be like, all right, like there's no help for this kid. So we got to send him to this school. So like big buff dudes from the school would wake you up in the middle of the night and throw you in a van with nothing. You weren't allowed to bring anything and drive you to the school. Because if like your parents told you that you were going, you would run away because this place is hellish. And it's run, it's run a lot like this movie is run. We're like, there's adults there, but they kind of just let the kids do whatever because they're apathetic. And like, it's just these kids, like, you know, being authorities over other kids and like all this like weird political shit. And like, when you get there, the first thing you have to do is clean up all the shit like in this movie. And eventually... If you do everything you're told, you might get a little bit more power and then you can abuse the person who is now where you just were and so on and so on. And it's a real place. It's ex- I, like, I wonder if this movie is kind of influenced by that because it was, like I said, it's been around for decades and decades and decades. So, um, but it felt like that. And that place scares the shit out of me. Like arbitrary rules are, and uh, like authority are like the scariest things in the world to me. So the scenario a, in that real life place and B in this movie, I w I would, I would crumble. I would hate this place so much. I would cry every day. I like, <laughs> the, like all these weird arbitrary rules. Uh, the fact that you have to do sexual pleasures for Clancy Brown's friends, uh, that kind of stuff, like get just like uh, horrifying, horrifying. This, this horrifies me. So, 
So I enjoyed this movie because it horrified me. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, behind the, like the fact that it's just like the super scary thing, like that probably sucks to be in here if you're a kid, unless you're Sean Penn, of course, and have the means to beat up a couple of guys with a, a pillowcase full of soap or whatever it was. Um, like, like the characters are really good. Like aside from just all the scary stuff, like, you know, no one is like really like, like there's a lot of shades of gray with all these characters. Like they're like these terrible delinquents who do horrible things. But like, there's this great scene where Clancy Brown, like they're in like an art class and he has to show his art. Like the teacher wants him to show his art. And it's like this dove flying away from the prison and everybody goofs on him. And, and he like feels humiliated and you can tell like there's more to this character than just a kid who wants to, you know, throw his weight around and abuse other kids. Like there's something more to him, but like they don't really go into it. Like there's no big cathartic scene at the end where he like hugs Sean Penn and he's like, I'm sorry for what I did, buddy. It's like, you just get these little moments where these kids are more than just pieces of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I like that a lot. Um, and everybody does a good job. I like all the, like all the actors are good. All the characters are good. I like, uh, what's his face? Sean Penn's sidekick. Barry Horowitz. Yeah. Horowitz. He's great. Like, yeah, he's just like, he's so atypical for a movie like this that I thought he worked. And he's also like, he's this nerdy little kid who like does science projects and stuff, but he's a fuck. He's more of a psycho than any of these other motherfuckers. Like he's (laughs) (laughs) blowing people up with stereos. He's like attacking people with golf clubs. Um, yeah, he's, he's horrible. Um, so I liked him a great deal. Um, all the Ali Sheedy stuff probably could have just been cut from the movie. Like it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really help anything. Well, um, it, it, just, it provides the, the crux of the, you know, the reason why Paco goes to jail and, and gives, you know, Sean Penn an equally valid reason to hate him as Paco hates him for, you know, quote unquote, killing his brother. So, I mean, it yeah. gives, it gives it some heat. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. It does feel a little shoehorned in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You're just one of these uh, Gen Z kids. There just doesn't want any romance in their movies. I get it. <laughs> That's also true. Um, and, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird because it's like it's a little shoehorned in. It's like they could have either like cut it completely or give her more stuff to do. But then if you give her more stuff to do, then you're not in the prison where all the good stuff is happening. So it's like kind of a, a, I don't know, kind of a catch 22, I guess. There's also a a part where they cut to Ali Sheedy, you know, living her life while Sean Penn is in jail. And she's talking, I think to her family or something. And she's talking about like, you guys don't know Sean Penn. He's, he's really a good guy. You know, he's not a bad dude. And that moment or a bad boy, that really rang false to me because it's like, I don't think that we ever saw them together establishing that he is such a great guy. I mean, it's, it's pretty brief at the beginning of their time together before it's cut short by prison. So I don't know. I thought that stuff yeah. could have been cut. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is really good. I, when you were mentioning the cameraman, I somehow did not catch him. Oh, really? Before, it's plain yeah, as fucking day. 
<laughs> well, yeah, like once you know he's there, because like I, while you were talking, I like looked it up and there's like a 30 second clip on YouTube where it shows him. And it's like all the action is in the foreground because it's like the scene where the two guys are like reaching for the knife. So you're or at least I was looking at the knife. But yeah, like once you're informed that if you just move your eyes two centimeters to the left, there's a cameraman. It's like, the, it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it before in a movie. Like he's just yeah. straight up cameraman. I mean, like we joke about like, you know, low budget, like exploitation, like a boom mic might be visible or something. Not a full fucking person within a camera. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's not even in the background. He's like leaning over the action. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, yeah. It's not even like he's like, you, you know, 10 feet behind and like standing in the crowd yeah. with a bunch they didn't of kids. Catch him like in a mirror. Yeah. He's right there. Yeah. He's breathing on the actors. <laughs> it is incredible. So that you saw it the first time around, Sean. I didn't see it until just now. I just looked it up after you mentioned looking it up and I said, I got to see this. And it's hilarious how obvious it is. But yeah, I was. Yeah engrossed in the drama of that moment it's a really tense scene so i guess i w- was not looking around at the background yeah it's easy to see how it got in the movie how nobody noticed it because yeah it's, it's such a good scene like you're enthralled by the actors um but once you know he's there man you know he's there <laughs> um yeah so yeah so i liked this movie a lot i'm glad that i finally enjoy a rick rosenthal movie because i don't like either of his Halloween movies or the birds too. Um, so I'm happy, happy he made something good. Although uh, he did two Buffy episodes, one of which is normal again, which is one of the best Buffy episodes. So uh, he did good there. So I like this guy now and I like this movie. You don't have to tell us what episodes of Buffy Rick Rosenthal directed. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. Well, just for, you know, for the loot, for the listeners, those out. Oh, I see. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, I guess if Kevin can't pick the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, at least he picked the great prisoner Clancy Brown. Because mm-hmm. I, for one, am thrilled that Kevin has officially entered his Clancy Brown phase. Um, thought the guy was good in Pet Cemetery too. Thought he was even better in this. Uh, excited to see where this trend goes. You know, how many Clancy Brown features will we review next year? Uh, <laughs> probably a maximum of 12, but but we'll see. I had never seen this movie before, uh, was confused as to why you would have picked it at first, but uh, as I settled into it, like you guys, I found myself enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, This is another good-looking movie this week. I think we're three for three with really nicely photographed movies. Uh, This opens with some cool, gritty shots of what I'm guessing is the south side of Chicago, um, but some mean streets there. You get to see that cool marquee with the Halloween two that you mentioned. And also early on, they do one of those across 110th street shots with people like crowded around a table counting money. Uh, I always liked that shot in a movie like this. And I thought they did a nice version of it. Oh, also there's a cool shot early on where, uh, Alan Ruck is watching the drug deal gone bad from a phone booth. Uh, that's like up uh, on like a train overpass that's kind of overlooking the street. I thought that whole sequence looked really cool, kind of how they had the two different levels uh, there. I don't know. It just looked great. Um, This was shot by a couple different guys, two two DPs. One is Bruce Surtees, who shot Dirty Harry and a whole bunch of other Clint Eastwood movies in the 1970s. 
and Donald Thorin, who shot Thief right before this that we talked about not too long ago. So I wonder if either I wonder if either of those guys are the visible cameraman in that one scene. I wonder, yeah. Who can I blame? Maybe that's why there's two. Maybe, you know, that was Donald Thorin got fired for, you know, his boneheaded maneuver leaning over the actors right on screen in that climactic battle. But but who knows? Um but it's good, yeah. Good looking movie. And speaking of Alan Ruck, you know, I, I was excited to see him in this. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching Ferris Bueller fairly often. I, I think it was one of the movies that, you know, we had taped off HBO and uh, my sister and I could both agree on that movie. So we, we watched it all the time. And as a kid, I, I always really liked Alan Ruck. And I always wondered as a kid, like, why he didn't become like a, like a, I don't know, like a leading man. Like I, I thought he should have been in everything. Um, and I was always confused as to why his career didn't explode after Ferris Bueller. I still, as an adult, have never really done a deep dive. I know that, that he's out there. He's like on, is he on Succession or he's on some big TV show? But it's it's rare that I get a chance to spend time with him on screen. And, and I uh, very much enjoyed him in this, um, even if it was only for like the first 11 minutes of the movie or something. Um, also, Sean Penn, of course, was really good in this. You know, he kind of threads the needle between being like super cool and disaffected and kind of detached, but also being kind of a relatable everyman sort of a guy. And, and I thought he worked really well in this, uh, in that kind of a role. Um, the jail location was great. I don't know if that was a set that they built or if that was a location that they found, but kind of reminded me of the HBO show Oz and the way that the jail was laid out. Um, and also that other prison that they go to briefly, the the big state prison. Oh, yeah. I thought that place was really cool looking, which is yeah. kind of a weird thing to say about a jail. I think that was a real jail that they did not build. Oh, yeah. But it's, yeah. Like very, it's kind of futuristic in a way. Yeah, he takes the guy that runs the place, takes Sean Penn to the, the, the big boy prison to show him, like, hey, if you keep fucking up, this is where you're going to end up. But, yeah, it's this, like, giant multi-level prison that, yeah, like you said, looks, like, crazy and futuristic. But it's, yeah, I'm guessing that was a real prison somewhere in Illinois. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very, like, dystopian how, like, massive it is. Like, the idea that you even need a prison that has, like, ten floors all facing out into a courtyard like that is kind of scary. But uh, speaking of the prisons, though, do you think that Royal Crown got paid for the product placement uh, in this movie? I mean... <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I don't think so, because while it is RC Cola... Um, vending machines when he gets the cans out of the machine it's like some like generic like tasty yeah. brand soda yummy cola i think yummy it was. cola which yeah i think was like uh like a store brand you know like a supermarket brand of soda so who knows well i yeah I, I was fascinated by it because it is mostly yummy colas that you see actually on screen but if you look closely, I think there are a few RCs. Like, they're kind of tucked into the background. Like, I think Sean Penn has one on, like, a table behind him in his cell at one point. But it's weird that they shied away from the can when, like, those those vending machines are very prominent. You can see them in, in <laughs> most scenes in this movie. There's, like, a big glowing Royal Crown logo right in the background. So 
Right. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's not the most desirable product placement, but hopefully they made some sales off of it, I guess, hopefully. Well, um, I, I have found that if uh, if you are going to beat the shit out of someone with a, a can of something, <laughs> a can of, of uh, yummy cola really does the trick. <laughs> that is that is fair. I mean, for drinking Royal Crown, for attempted murders, stick with the yummy, I guess. Uh, speaking of cans, uh, at one point we see a Walgreens store in this movie uh, that outside oh, yeah. has a big big sign that advertises generic beer, six 12-ounce cans for $1.50. That's yeah. a quarter a pop. I think that's where Ali Sheedy works is at that Walgreens. Yeah, and I would work there too if I could get 25-cent beers, you know? Why not? Um what else about this? Oh, there's a fight in a mess hall at one point where a character picks up a trash can. And I got real excited for a second that he was going to hurl it at someone, but then he just kind of dumped it out onto somebody instead. Kind of, kind of weak. Um, oh, a bit of trivia. I noticed on IMDb that a production designer by the name of Maher Ahmad worked on both this movie and also the 1995 bad boys movie. And I wonder go. if he ever brags, you know, to people that he meets about that. You know, I'm the one guy. I worked on both of them. He's a bad uh, boy for life. Yeah, yeah, he certainly is. And congrats to him for that. So overall, yeah, I thought this was very engrossing, very watchable. Everybody gives a great performance in this. See it if you haven't. Although, I guess I got one question for you guys. Do you guys have any idea what the hell's up with that scene where Sean Penn burns the photo of Ali Sheedy, his girlfriend. What was that about? Um, I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want Clancy Brown getting it and jerking off, off on to it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. Other than that, I, every scene in this, I thought was gripping. I thought it, you know, as Bowman said, the characters were, you know, well rendered, uh, overall, yeah, this this is a solid movie. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm glad you guys like it. It did get a Blu-ray re- release about 12 years ago from Lionsgate, um, but hopefully it gets a, a another one. I mean, I think that Lionsgate one is still readily available, and it's pretty easily to str- easy to stream. I think it's on Tubi and Roku and all those free V ones. You know, uh, you'll have to watch it with commercials, which will extend the already lengthy two-hour runtime but uh definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it or are only familiar with the will smith martin lawrence bad boys it's definitely worth a watch especially if you like some of these actors and seeing them in some of their earliest roles so yeah check it out uh but yeah i think that wraps up bad boys we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to fill a pillowcase with cola cans and uh knock the shit out of you so stick around
right, well, that just about wraps up episode number 669 of Junk Food Dinner. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. If you like the show, make sure you visit our website, junkfooddinner.com, where you can find all the previous episodes of Junk Food Dinner, as well as episodes of Junk Food Supper, uh, easily chronicled for your listening pleasure. Uh, make sure you tune every week for a new episode of Junk Food Supper in between our monthly episodes of Junk Food Dinner. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out all our social media on the Facebook, the X, the Instagram. But as we always say, the real party is, of course, in the Discord. Uh, if you have Discord, uh, look for the Junk Food Dinner room in there. Ask for an invite. We'll get you in there. And uh, then you can party with all your Junk Food Dinner hosts as well as a good large community of Junk Food Dinner listeners where we talk about movies, TV, video games, books, comics, whatever strikes our fancy so make sure you join us there uh, also let your voice be heard on the junk food dinner voicemail line by giving us a call at 347-746-JUNK that's 347-746-5865 and get your voicemail played on the show uh, you can also send us an email jfbpodcast.gmail.com but let's face it you want your voice to be heard you want to be on the show so give us a call on the voicemail line uh, next month on junk food dinner it is going to be our annual christmas episode as we are going to be taking a look at Don't Open Till Christmas from 1984, Alf's Christmas Special from 1987, and Siskel and Ebert's 1989 Holiday Gift Guide. So make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So until next time, this is Kevin Moss for Parker Bowman and Sean Byron saying adios, everybody. We will see you next time.